I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, myhealthpolicy.com. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to myhealthpolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, myhealthpolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurer agent myhealthpolicy.com good guys yeah. we, we started running and partying the next thing i know we're up on the stage going crazy doing stupid <laughs> stuff and, this thing, yo, that's crazy. You know, oh yeah he's cutting up shirts and i'm ripping off the live shirts and the girls are <laughs> upside down with their feet on the counter and diplos just grinding and tearing it down and it's just like insane this my ears were ringing bro for like three days i, I went Get to i went to it. impact wrestling the what? next night and my, my boy finally smart me because dad i tried to have the earphones but he just knocked them out of my hand i didn't know that your ears would ring that long, yeah, you know? Yeah. You like Dr. Dre? You ever, you ever bang Dr. Dre before you go out and... Well, if you don't know, well, now you know he's my man, brother, every, every time. Pow. You know, you got to go it's back to man. the source of the force, you Yo. know? Pow. And Big Papa, I'm telling you what, you can Ooh, turn all yeah, this new stuff so. on. You can be the newest wrestler. You can jump off the top rope. But at, back at the end of the day, it's back to the creator, brother. Thank the, you, pal. The Jesus Christ of wrestling is no, here. No, no. I'm, talk, I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of getting getting real with it in the streets. Ooh. You know, I'm talking about, you know, Big Pop. I'm talking much respect. Boom. Wow. You know, <laughs> no disrespect it. to anybody Preach. else, but go back to Biggie if you want to get Thank real you, about man. all Preach. this <laughs> other bullshit. <laughs> All right, I know that audio was very vague and unclear to hear, but in case you have never heard it before, that is actually Hulk Hogan being caught, recorded with Heather Clem saying the N-word, and the reason why I'm playing it, believe it or not, it's the anniversary that he got caught and fired by WWE. We got a whole bunch of Hogan stuff to get into a little bit later, but I just wanted to set that up a little bit. And you might ask yourself, why did I also include the Hogan talking about Biggie Smalls and other stuff? It'll all fall into place later on, everyone. And by the way, I could have put so many more audio clips at the beginning of the broadcast about just various things in history this week, but I got to try to fit everything in this episode. And we have, I think, over two dozen clips to share this week. Some of them are very, very quick, but they're little gems that you may have completely forgot about, may have never heard before, or may just want to hear one more time. 
And we got a couple of match highlights as well. So what's up, everyone? Episode 30. This week in wrestling history, I am Don Tony as always. This week, we covered a period of July 24th through July 30th. So let's get right into it. This week in 1978, Bob Backlund, as the WWF heavyweight champion, wrestled Antonio Inoki to a one-hour time limit draw in Tokyo, Japan. It was a best out of three falls. Each person won one fall, but they never decided the third fall. And uh, I know when people hear Inoki versus Backlund, you immediately think about that phantom title change that went down. If you've never seen the footage, go on YouTube because you could actually see it. Doesn't look like the three count was supposed to take place for Inoki. And Backlund was visibly like angry. You know, you lose, of course you lose a title, you're going to be upset, but he had that type of anger like, man, the referee just fucked up big time. Maybe even Backlund felt like he fucked up a little bit because he didn't uh, kick out quick enough. So, But this was not that match. 1985, we had a memorable debut in the WWF. And if you've been following this show the past couple of weeks especially, Macho Man Randy Savage debuted in the WWF. They were doing a storyline that all of the managers from Luscious Johnny V to Mr. Fuji, Freddie Blassie, Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart. I know I'm leaving one or two people. I might be. Maybe I'm not leaving anybody out. But anyway, they were all trying to win, what do you say, the heart of Macho Man Randy Savage and become his manager. And it was this week in 1985, we finally found out who the Macho Man's manager would be. Oh yeah, everybody concentrate right now. This is the big day. This is the big day. And I want to thank all these managers right now for your consideration. Mr. Fuji, devious ways that you put in my mind will come to use. Bobby the Brain Heenan, what you've taught me, oh yeah, I'm gonna use forever. Johnny Valiant, oh yeah, the training will be in effect for the rest of my life. The diamonds that Freddie Blassie has flashed in front of my eyes really makes me smile. And it's been fantastic for your consideration. And Jimmy Hart, the complete opposite just freaked me out. But now, let the mystery be over. Macho madness at this peak right now. And we gotta know who the manager is gonna be of the future WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Right behind that door right now is the Macho Man's new manager. Everybody get ready. A big, big moment. And here she comes. Goodness. Oh, oh, oh my. Oh my goodness. Who is this? A movie star? Who is this? 
my goodness. Take a look. What a surprise. I can't believe. Look at this. What a beautiful woman. My goodness. She is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, my. Look at the smile. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous lady. My goodness, that is a Jimmy Hart holding the ropes. The macho man said no. I can't believe that. Take a look at this. The Macho Man introducing the managers to his current manager. We're going to have to find out a lot more about this lady. She must be something to have, uh, in some fashion, cajoled the macho man into accepting her as a manager. Oh, ooh. She's beautiful, but to me it's still a mystery. Who is she? I don't know. I don't have the slightest idea. I got to tell you, this week in wrestling history, there is a lot of women memories that cover this week you know look i know over history wrestling has been a male-dominated sport it will remain to be a male-dominated sport even though there is more women uh featured prominently in this era in the world of pro wrestling but when you look back on it you kind of think you know was wrestling in wwe and other feds always in the frame of mind more towards women in like the summertime, late July, early August, than any other time during the year. Because when you hear the amount of results and memories this week involving women, this is the largest contingency of female memories in any particular week to date. And I have a feeling that this week will stand out for the entire year as the biggest one as far as history goes with women in wrestling. And I will get into another audio clip in a moment that will back that up. 1986, Greensboro, North Carolina. Dusty Rhodes beat Ric Flair in a steel cage match to win the NWA World Heavyweight title. This would be the final reign as NWA Heavyweight Champ for Dusty Rhodes. Uh, he would only hold it for about two weeks. Ric Flair would win it back. And if you followed this show, I talked about it in the past. Dusty Rhodes, NWA champion three times. You add up the number of days he held that belt, very, very short title reigns. 1987, Sherry Martell, God rest her soul, sensational Sherry. She makes her WWF roster debut, and what a debut it was, facing the fabulous Moolah for the women's championship. Now, over the years, I've actually debated with a couple of people who claim online that this was her first ever appearance for the WWF. In fact, a lot of websites also make that claim. But I knew that she wrestled many years earlier when nobody knew who she was. And I finally, not too long ago, found audio proof of this. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest will be followed by one other match. And this is a tag team attraction involving four of the outstanding lady wrestlers. One fall, 30-minute time limit. Introducing first to my left, team number one, from Crane, Missouri, 
weighing 142 pounds, Penny Mitchell. Her partner from Wilmington, North Carolina, at 152 pounds, Judy Martin. To my right, their opponents from New Orleans, Louisiana, weighing 140 pounds, Sherry Martell. And her partner from Columbia, South Carolina, weighing 150 pounds, the woman's wrestling champion, the fabulous Moolah. If you really want to get a kick out of something, go on YouTube because this match is up there. June 5th, 1982, WWF in Madison Square Garden, tag team match, Judy Martin, Penny Mitchell versus Moolah and Sherry Martell. Pay attention to the opening introductions by Howard Finkel. You look at Sherry. I think this is her first ever match. She's at Madison Square Garden, WWF, very, very young, smiling from ear to ear. But she's teaming up with Moolah, so she's a heel. And if you watch, as she's smiling, it looks like Moolah is, like, really pissed off and is telling her, the fuck you smiling for? You're a heel. Show anger, blah, 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 blah. So the camera goes away from them. And then when it comes back to them, when they introduce Sherry, she's bad-mouthing the crowd. And she's at, I thought it was pretty cool to see. So if you want nice little memory, go check that out. Anyway, getting back to 1987, Sherry Martell signs with the WWF. She wrestled the fabulous Moolah for the women's championship. Now, keep in mind that Sherry coming in now, she is fresh off of AWA. She is fresh off of being the AWA women's champion. She's fresh off of being the manager in some wrestlers' corners. So she had a lot of notoriety. So her showing up, you know, it was pretty cool to see. Interesting enough, when she wrestled this match against Fabulous Moolah, you listen to the crowd reaction, the crowd was not happy to see either woman in this company. Um, but I'm going to share with everyone the memories of this match because it has a very interesting ending to it. And I will say this before I go any further, just something for you to think about, especially if you want to go back two or three years. I remember covering a week or two ago the war to end it all. Uh, was it the war to end it all? The, or the war to settle the score? It was one of those two matches with the, you know, two mo events with MTV and WWF. And I remember reading uh, people who have written this for years and years and years and years and years. How shitty the match was between Wendy Richter and Fabulous Moolah. And, you know, it's sad because there's a lot of websites out there that do cover history and they'll chronologically report it, but they just cut and paste they don't watch things for themselves. They don't re do research for themselves. They don't even think of common sense. And the reason why I say that is because when you hear this audio now of Sherry Martell versus Fabulous Moolah, keep in mind that Fabulous Moolah's age was 64 years old. So when she wrestled Wendy Richter, that big event at Madison Square Garden, Moolah was already in her early 60s. So when you think about the fact that Moolah is already in her early 60s and doing what she is doing in the ring, she deserves a boatload of credit. And for people to really overanalyze her wrestling career when she's 62 fucking years old, I think it's pretty asinine, don't you think? So anyway, here you go. Sherry Martell's return to the WWF 1987, her first match back 
against Fabulous Moolah for the Women's Championship. Probably, I don't know, what would you say, uh, Moth? Uh, I think that it had maybe a toss-up between her and San Martino as to who held the title the longest. Well, that's right. You know, Gorilla, somebody said that Mula has been ladies' champion for 28 years. Can you believe that? Well, someone told me that uh, they remembered that she won the title during the Roosevelt administration. <laughs> but, You've got to be kidding me, man. Well, only, only joking, Jerry, but she has held it. Uh, oh, my God, uh, it must be a at least 15 to 17 years would you not say you better believe it like i said before you know she's always ready she's uh, uh you know a great competitor really the fabulous moolah man she certainly is well she's got a work cut out for her for sure here in houston texas against sherry martell who really doesn't have to take a back seat to anybody well you know she looks pretty young she looks uh, pretty cool pretty confident Well, I think that, you know, uh, you remember what happened at WrestleMania 3. It was a little gathering of the minds there between the Fabulous One and the uh, King. <laughs> you better believe it. The King and Queen of the WWF, right, well, baby? Well, it uh, remains to be seen what comes out of that. Standing wrist lock by the champion, and Martel gets rid of her immediately with a hair pull and Moolah complaining. It's usually the other way around. This is going to be a great match, man. Fight fire with fire. Referee Joe Morella picked for this ladies title match. Another handful of hair, but this time by the champion and it's Martel down on the canvas. You can you can just feel the excitement, the anticipation in the air. Nice move by the fabulous one. You know, Snap Mare using a handful of hair. You know, Moolah's definitely no pushover, is she, baby? Absolutely not. A lot of people over the years have thought that she was and found out differently in a hurry I don't know there's some guys I know of that wouldn't uh, think twice they'd have to think twice about getting you're one of them well, don't be, I knew you were ah. going to say that gorilla see you try to humiliate me every time I get on this program with you man I'm not humiliating you it's the brain that's doing that no are you trying to say that Mula can can whip the mouth of the south is well that what I, you're trying to say? that's a fair statement yes oh. hammerlock by the champion swinging her around takes her down to the canvas with it and look at how she's ramming it, pulling it out away from the body. That's where all the pressure comes from. It's amazing how much physical punishment the human body can take. And the fabulous one is an attestment to that. You better believe it. You know, she looks in great shape too, doesn't she, Gorilla? She certainly does. She's always in great shape. She had some very serious injuries over the years that she held the title. Broken legs, broken shoulders that I can remember. Rib cages, smashed. There she is, still inside that squared circle. Martell now, Sherry with a reverse chin lock. 
This thing has gone back and forth uh, since the bell rung. Nobody with a decisive advantage here. Fabulous one making it to the ropes. Referee Morello have to break it. She knows every trick in the trade, does she not? You better believe it, baby. When it's time to pull hair, she can do it, Daddy. Look at this. Oh, big roundhouse right by the champion. Sends a challenger flying. And another one. Martell backed into the corner and Muller right on her. That's a blatant chokehold. The referee right there making a count. Well, Martell, Sherry looks a little... Uh, frustrated right now you better believe it she looks a little lost look at this uh-oh wait a minute look at turn this. around is fair play not a blatant choke now but this time by the challenger you know i think the people are getting behind the sherry martell gorilla well it may be the lula doesn't have too many fans <laughs> irish whip all the way across the ring face first right into the top turnbuckle the champion is down, over for the cover, one. You're not going to beat Moolah like that, I'm afraid. You know, you better believe it. You know something you just said, too. You know, Moolah doesn't have a lot of fans. You know, you, nobody needs the fans. The fans don't help you win these like matches. Like you and the Honky Talk Man. Hey, wait a minute, we have a lot of fans, man. You yeah. know we do. Hasn't been proven to me. The voting that went down a number of times. You guys come out on the short end both times. Well, look who counted the votes. That big old fat Jack Tunney, the president, oh, man. How can we trust him? Side headlock now by the challenger. Moolah won't stay in this long. She hates that particular hole. Backdrop. Nailed her with it. Champion down for the cover. Two count. Nope. Martell slips out the back door. Rula really measuring her now. Going to work. Got that left arm barred. You know, Doesn't bend that way. <laughs> you, better believe, you know, look at Moolah. She looks in great shape, man. If anybody looks out of shape, this Martell looks a little out of shape. Well, Moolah trains constantly. Of course, as the ladies' champion, you have to train constantly. That's right, for 28 years, baby. 28 years? That's what, what, 28 years, man. That's what the record book says. Oh, 28 okay. years. As the champion. That's right. You don't but think... not consecutive years. Of course not. No. You don't think I'd come out here without knowing something sitting next to the great Gorilla Monsoon, well, do you? it remains to be seen. <laughs> you also made a few remarks to me that you had uh, Bam Bam Bigelow locked up, but that didn't prove to be true, did it? Well, you know, let me tell you something. I, I've got some different strategy on that. Maybe I didn't need him in the first place. Well... Maybe the brain has him. The brain may be right. No. Nah. Even, even though he called you a little twerp, it doesn't matter. He called me a twerp? Absolutely. Oh, nice knee lift by the champion. Challenger in trouble here in Houston, Texas. Gorilla Monsoon at ringside with the Colonel, the mouth of the south. What a slingshot. Moolah's got one fan, this guy yeah. out front here. Absolutely. He was cheering. <laughs> Fabulous one doing what she does best right now. Making life visible. Oh, headbutt. Haven't seen her use that very often. Martell, Sherry, reeling in pain. There's another one right between the eyes. You know, Gorilla, looks uh, like Lula's off to a quick start tonight, baby. Well, she certainly is, and I, I think she'd like to put every challenger away as quickly as possible at this point in her career. She looks tough. She's always tough. Maybe down sometimes, but never out. Referee breaking that one. Another slingshot. Sanchery halfway across the ring. Moolah can do it all inside that squared circle. After all those years, she knows every move to make. Can anticipate the moves of her opponents. Now using a nice leverage drop. Didn't find too many fans in that corner of the ring, did you? <laughs> like I said... 
You don't need the fans. They don't help you win, man. Well, I have to disagree with you on that, Ma. Well, would she be champion for 28 years and you just got through saying she doesn't have any fans, right? Well, has a lot of ability. Brought her in the hard way right over the top rope. Look out. Little slingshot here. Whoa! Champion went flying. Head first. Gonna see another one by Sherry. And once again, Mula on the receiving end. But right into the ropes where she knows she'll be safe. You know, she looked like one of the flying Walinda sisters there, didn't you? You know the Walindas. Well, no, I've heard you talk about them oh. before. Well, we've got them, the flying Walindas. There's another blatant choke by the challenger. Both of these ladies pulling out all the stops here with the gold on the line, the coveted ladies championship of the world. That's right. What a break for the Sherry Martell, man. A slingshot. Turn around is fair play. And we're all out warning both ladies about their behavior. Certainly wouldn't want to see a disqualification here. Lula unloads with another right hand. Champion really measuring the challenger now. And right out the other side and down to the concrete once again. Things not looking too well for the challenger. I think, well, I think the Sherry Martell's made the fabulous mood a little hot. Boy, she knows how to hurt you out there, that's for sure. Be surprised if Sherry can put it together and climb back in, although she's attempting it, and Moolah right there to stop her. She's getting a little assistance there from somebody outside the ring, Jimmy. Yeah, who is this guy? Looks I don't like know. Maybe it's her father, huh? Might be the jacket man. Takes the jackets back to the locker room. But Moolah well in control of this one. Up on that top rope for a little additional leverage. Look at this, slams her back in. Oh, look at that, Sherry Hooker takes her over. It's on, oh, it's unreal. History's been made here. Unbelievable. History made here in the Sam Houston Coliseum. And look at this, she's going after the referee. It was not a quick count or anything of that nature. I just think that Moolah got a little bit overconfident. And look at this, Sherry gives her a shot with the belt. Unbelievable history-making Texas. History, Grilla. We're on history, baby. Wow, a new ladies world champion, Sherry Martell, here in the Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. I can't believe it. I'm shocked. This is unbelievable. Everybody's in shock as the gold raised high overhead. The new champion. And Moolah still out there bitter. Here's something pretty cool. I just mentioned Wendy Richter a few moments ago. The same week that Sherry Martel was winning the WWF women's title. Sherry Martel overseas. I even think it was in Trinidad. She defeated Monster Ripper for the World Wrestling Council women's title. And you know Monster Ripper is Bertha Faye and a few other names. And unfortunately, this is also the anniversary week uh, of her passing. Um, but yeah, in the same week, almost within the same exact time period, same day, you had Wendy Richter and Sherry Martell both winning women's golds. Pretty cool. I'm telling you, this week had a very heavy women's influence on the show. And I didn't do that purposely. Just did a lot of research. It was a lot more this week than usual. So we get to 1991. The seeds are now being planted that Ric Flair is coming to the WWF. 
not too long ago. It was only a couple of weeks ago. We covered the audio. Jim Hurd, Ric Flair having the falling out. He leaves. He's got the title. They don't give him his deposit back. So he's still recognized as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, even though by now there is a new WCW Heavyweight Champion in WCW. So it was this week in 1991 that WWF finally started planting the seeds of Ric Flair's uh, debut. Now, how did they do this? Well, easy. This week, WWF was doing their TV tapings. The commentators on Booth were Gorilla Monsoon, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And during uh, a break between matches, Bobby Heenan just very casually whips out a heavyweight title belt. And Gorilla Monsoon's like, what's that? <laughs> and this is what Bobby Heenan said. How about this? What Gorilla? is that? This happens to be the real championship belt. That's not Hogan's belt, Brain. I know the champ's belt when I see it. You're right. Comparing this belt to Hulk Hogan's belt would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Comparing the men that wear these belts would also be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You see, the man that owns this belt is right now under contract to another organization. But in the very near future, he might be coming to the World Wrestling Federation. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. This man not only has challenged Hogan on numerous occasions, unanswered, may I add, but you want to compare him, fine. Then let's compare Hulk Hogan to Ric Flair. Just a little tidbit regarding this, too. You read other websites. If you do follow sites that do cover wrestling history stuff as well, you'll probably come across this comment that's been written over and over and over again for many years now that this was the first time ever that the WWF had ever acknowledged another wrestling company's title. It's just a lie. It's just stupid. They acknowledge Flair way back when. They acknowledge Harley Race and others. This is just people trying to be creative and trying to be catchy with their words to try to get attention. You know, I, I've brought up many examples this year so far that what you've been reading for years and years and years, unfortunately, was nowhere close to being accurate. And the only way you find out about it is by doing research. And unfortunately, there's too many people out there that will just cut and paste, cut and paste. Do you? Could you imagine how ridiculously bad or a waste of time this show would be if I came up here to do a history show and all I did was go on somebody's website and read you results word for word? The fuck is that? You know, Audible. What are you, a fucking human Audible book? Please. You know, being a host... And actually, you know, doing a show or doing something like this involves a great deal of work and research for anybody. And to try to cut short, take shortcuts and cut corners, save your fucking breath, seriously. And it's, that's not directed towards anybody in particular. I'm just saying in general, it's sad because I do a lot of research to prepare for the shows. And you got to see some of the garbage that I come across that I have to sift through. So 1993, Jim Cornette makes his WWF debut. Now, at this time, he's got a lot of momentum in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He's got a lot of upcoming shows. WWF and Smoky Mountain Wrestling had a nice little relationship going. You know, you got to keep in mind at this time, you now have uh, competition with WCW. Monday Night Wars are not heated and they haven't begun yet, but you can see that there are some issues going on. And keep in mind, remember, 
The steroid trial, the conspiracy trial against Vince McMahon didn't conclude until 1994. And we're also in a period of, you know, Shangata gimmicks and this, is and that. So to have Jim Cornette in a WWF was really, really a, uh, a big plus at the time. Um, it was unexpected in a lot of people's eyes. So how his debut occurred, very simply, you had Vince and Bobby Heenan sitting at ringside during an episode of Raw, and then I don't know where Jim Cornette shows up. So I'm going to share with you the audio, how it went down on Monday Night Raw, and following that, it got about, oh, how long is this clip? Uh, it's about four and a half minutes, not long. Jim Cornette talking about how it came about of him debuting in the WWF. And there is some very interesting backdrop to that. So here you go. Jim Cornette's WWF debut and his comments regarding his debut. What you do, McMahon, is your business. But when you get into the ring, speaking of business, what's this man doing here? Wait a minute. He has no business here. Do you know? Do you know who that is? Do you have any idea who, do you have any idea who that is? Yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy! Jim Cornette. Wait a minute. Wait Don't get carried away. I've never seen Bobby Heenan. So delighted. What is this? Ah, oh, look at this. A reunion. Bobby Heenan and Jim Cornette from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe this. I do not believe this. Do you know who this is? Do you have any, any idea who this man is? Now quit it. I'm gonna know. I'm gonna talk right now. You listen. Relax. I'm gonna talk for you. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest manager in the history of the sport of wrestling. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't even surpass what this man has done. Jim Cornette. What are you doing here in the WWF? First of all, Bobby, I want to say something. I'm the greatest manager in wrestling only because that you're no longer managing. I got to say, and by the way, my mother really liked that bouquet of roses you said. But you know something? Everybody's wondering. Jim Cornette, I know all the people out there, they got their false teeth laying on the floor, man. And they got to have their wife slap them, bring them back around, sit them up on the couch. Jim Cornette's on the WWF, man. Tell me, Jim, what is going on with Smoky Mountain Wrestling? Let me just explain for all you genetic defects out here living downstream of the nuclear plants. <laughs> Jim Please. Cornette has done everything in his career. I've done everything in professional wrestling. I've traveled coast to coast, border to border. I've managed the greatest tag teams in wrestling. The one thing that I haven't done is appeared in the World Wrestling Federation. I'm here to do that now because I finally have my knockout blow. A year and a half ago, I settled in the Great Smoky Mountains down there in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I became involved with the hottest wrestling promotion in the South, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and I formed, I handpicked a tag team guaranteed to be the piece de resistance, the cream of the crop, the greatest combination that I have ever managed. None other than the heavenly bodies, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard, and the gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey. And they are, without a doubt, the object of every American woman's desire. Talk about surprises. You never cease to surprise me, Jim. That's exactly right, and I'm full of surprises because I got another one. What? I'm here in the WWF for one reason. Because, like I said, I manage the greatest tag team in wrestling, the heavenly bodies. 
They have dominated Smoky Mountain Wrestling for a year and a half. And now, I hear you got some big fish up here. A couple guys called Rick and Scott Steiner. That every, yeah. Oh, boy. Cornette Wrestling well, got the WWF Tag Team Champions. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, but they're not the best tag team in the world. The Heavenly Bodies are. So what I'm saying, Rick and Scott Steiner, now I'm ready for the knockout blow, the only step I've never taken. You got a challenge on your table, Steiner Brothers. Either you can get in a ring with the Heavenly Bodies, defend those belts, get beat, of course, but at least these people will know that you had some guts and hey, it's no disgrace getting beaten by the best. Or you can just overlook my challenge and then every single one of these people will know that you're yellow, stinking dog cur cowards. And I know you are. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is gonna set the World Wrestling Federation on fire. And Jimmy, you're the man that can do it. You're here, you're really here. Well, if Jim Cornette is looking for the Steiner Brothers, he won't have far to look. The Steiner Brothers always answer the call. They always answer the challenge. They won't back down from this one, I'm sure. Jim Cornette and Bobby Heaton together. My, oh, my. What's next on Monday Night Raw? We got in at like 3 in the morning to Charlotte, checked in at the airport, and the next day flew to New York to Albany and, and made our Raw debut in Alexandria Bay, New York. <laughs> And I know everybody's thinking, oh, what was it like to uh, to uh, you know, debut on this big television show after uh, being in all these rinky-dink places? This was the worst place they ever did Raw. Brian, <laughs> the, I've, I've got the book here, uh, Graham Cawthon's History of Professional Wrestling, uh, Volume 2, The Results, WWF 1990-1999, 1990 through 1999. July 25th in 1993, it, it, it drew a thousand people at the Castle Recreation Center in Alexandria Bay, New York, and they taped what had to be five hours of TV in this cattle barn. And I mean, we were actually having our meetings outside in the gravel uh, parking lot. It was, it, so it was not what the WWF uh, raw tapings would become. And that's uh, not only when uh, the bodies debuted and we had a match. As a matter of fact, the, the debut was against Bobby Who and Mike Bucci. Nova himself dealt fake in Bucci with the moonsault. Um, but anyway, at that point, also, I started managing Yokozuna. And that's the night that I came out and, and Bobby Heenan hugged me and we had that night. So that, that was cool. But once again, we'd done a show in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, driven to Charlotte, flown to New York State. Debuted on Raw on Sunday. Well, uh, the taping, uh, the TV taping. It was actually it was Superstars taping. I tell a lie. It was Superstars taping. But we did Raw. Somehow, they used to tape everything back in those days. Uh, the following day, we went to Utica and did uh, another five hours of TV plus interviews all day. And the following day, Plattsburgh, New York, and did the same thing. <laughs> And before we could finally fly back to Charlotte, get in our car and fucking get back home. So that was a hectic uh, end of July. But I thought, okay, at least we've, we've got all these things going. Let's see what's going to fucking happen. You said something interesting before. You said, I didn't know why they let me mention Smoky Mountain Wrestling then. Almost alluding to now you know exactly why. So first question is, well, why did they? And the second is, 
What's it like being made the manager of a guy who already has a manager? Um, well, that's why they termed it American spokesperson because they didn't want to offend Fuji. But I mean, in all honesty, Fuji was a wrestling legend, but the promos were not there. Then and 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 Vince really wanted Yoko to be over to pass the torch, as he thought at that time to Luger. Um, but it, there needed to be some some conflict there. Anyway, I actually I figured it out shortly afterwards because after contemplation why it was so strange that we we sent that video up i I knew that's why somehow i had gotten on the radar for a rib video but when i found out the day of it i think that somebody probably said to the people that would make this decision cornet won't come without his team and he won't leave smoky mountain wrestling so we've got to acknowledge it in some form or fashion because I and I and there was a couple of people up there at the time that knew me well enough to make that statement and know that it was correct. And I think they almost sprung the Yokozuna thing on me so as not to scare me off like they were trying to pull me farther in. And because somebody also probably said, you know, if he just comes up and you ask him about it that day, he probably won't say no. And this was not supposed to be a, a it wasn't supposed to be a long-term thing or not supposed to be a long-term thing. It was never discussed. It was, hey, we, we're short on talent. We need a team for the Steiners for SummerSlam. And we'll see if you want to come make some shots. But still, they never mentioned anyone. They never ever, I mean, even USWA, Jerry Jarrett's already involved. Jerry Lawler's already working there. They never got a mention on any of the WWF shows. But Smoky Mountain did. I mean, that, it really was amazing I, well, at the time. I don't think that either one of them ever said, if you don't mention Memphis, I'm not coming. If they wouldn't have mentioned Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you wouldn't have done it. No, because see, that was that was one uh, hesitation that I had. Is that I said I don't want people to tune on TV and think that we've left. I got these cards advertised. I got this fucking. I don't want them to think that I've bailed on on <laughs> the boys. Did <laughs> they, the people I that I thought knew me good enough to know that I was just keeping a secret angle and was was going to be around the boys? Oh, he's bailed on us, but. I didn't want uh, anybody to think that, no, the bodies had left and wouldn't be fulfilling the, the dates in August. Our, my big show's coming up, et cetera. No, I, I said, I can't do it if unless we make it plain that we are from Smoky Mountain Wrestling and we are involved in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and it's an ongoing thing. 1995, another little ECW card that I will always remember. Middletown, New York, this week in history in 1995, you had ECW have an event and the two matches that will always stick out to me, Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko, once again, tearing the house down. And you also had the Steiner brothers make their debut in ECW. They defeated uh, Vampire Warrior, who you now know as Gangrel, and Dudley Dudley. And I remember their promo. Didn't they cut a promo that same night with Taz? Or was the Taz? Longtime ECW fans remember what I'm talking about. But I remember Scott Steiner, you know, we're going to kick ass and all this stuff. It was pretty cool. See, the Steiner brothers in ECW was cool. You know, at this time, ECW is getting a bad rap because of the shitload of hardcore stuff going down. McFoley, Terry Funk, Sabu, uh, Public Enemy, Sandman. I mean, Ian and Axel Rotten. There's a lot of hardcore stuff going down. But to have Eddie and Dean Malenko mixed in, have Shane Douglas mixed in with that, have the Steiners appear, and you had, you know, other wrestlers come in as well that weren't hardcore wrestlers. There was a really nice mixture 
of talent. And, you know, ultimately, very, very soon, we would get Jericho uh, in ECW. And when I say we, you know, I mean, like, us fans would get Jericho in ECW, Rey Mysterio in ECW. I mean, it just was was wonderful. 1995 is one of my favorite all-time years for ECW. I think 95 is probably my favorite year. And then 1997 would be my next year. And then 98 or 96, somewhere around. Put it this way, 95 to 98 was my favorite era of ECW of all time. Now we go to 1996. And look, all, all, the, all the difference one year makes. We just talked about Eddie and Dean Malenko tearing it the house down in ECW. Now it's one year later and Eddie Guerrero's on Monday Nitro. And so is Dean Malenko and others. It was this week in 1996 that the NWO really started to get street cred. As far as the storyline, as far as the controversy, as far as the suspension of disbelief of being an outside organization, as far as really, you know, causing a lot of problems in WCW. This week was a very important week as far as the storyline with WCW and NWO. Now, what's cool about this week was we got the first ever uh, paid announcement that they used to do. Remember, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. This week, we got the first one. Now, the first one, obviously, you learn as time goes by. You tweak, you chop it down. You, 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 this was like a three and a half minute fucking paid announcement. I mean, it got its point across. And if you've actually watched uh, some of the interviews in the past or heard them, uh, Hall, Nash, and others talking about the beginning of the NWO, you know, they had to try to get Hogan out of the good guy brother mode. And you can hear little tidbits here and there where Hogan is, you know, he's, he's in the rep, repetition. He's always been in that repetition of being a good guy, cutting a good guy promo. But as this little vignette progresses, you could hear Hogan, you know, getting out of that element and really getting into the heel character really good. But I'm not going to play that just yet because something went down on Nitro about an hour before. Now, I'm not obviously going to spend 45 minutes of recorded audio here to cover this because it's just ridiculous. You could just watch it. I prefer to cover about four and a half minutes of it. This four and a half minutes, I think, says it all. Let me paint the picture. We're watching Monday Nitro. It's hour number one. For some reason, they already have on TV Sting, Randy Savage, and Lex Luger versus the Horseman, Steve McMichael. Chris Benoit, and Ric Flair. Match went to a no contest. The reason why, you're going to hear it. Flair back in the attack once again. 13 times. He's been the heavyweight champion of the world. And there's a roll-up. One, two. Will he become a part of the new world order? Who can you trust? Or can you trust anyone now? Don't, don't trust anybody. But again, look at the style. Flair goes over to his corner, tags Benoit. It's Benoit in there. They're keeping Sting in trouble. They got him down. It's a trademark of the Horsemen. Get him in trouble. Keep him in trouble. Keep him in your corner and beat him. Benoit stomping the leg of Sting. Sting in major amount of pain here. And they have focused on Sting. They have focused on the leg. They have kept in their corner. And the four horsemen looking as sharp as we've ever seen here. Boy, a snap suplex. Yeah, nice snap to it, too. Benoit. Oh, come on, ref. 
Two count, that's all he got. Quit complaining, Larry. I mean, it was a pretty good count. I never time. liked Patrick anyway. He's and a jerk. He's consistently good, as all the referees are. They're trying to put him into a Boston Crab, getting a half crab on that time. Luger had seen enough. Nevertheless, tag made on the other side. Flair coming in. Nice save, but Sting couldn't make it to the corner. Flair to the attack again. Flair to whoa, the attack. Whoa, who just ran past? Jimmy Hart Jimmy just Hart. grabbed him. What, 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 what are you? I almost nailed him. Don't run past him. Please take the camera to the back. We need help. The outsiders in the back. Come on. Get We need somebody in the back, please. What is he talking about? Need somebody. He's trying to get a cameraman. The outsiders are in the back, please. I don't know. He's taking a cameraman out in the back. Craig Leathers can hear us. Craig, are you going to send a cameraman back there or not? Okay. He said the outsiders were back the there. Who is where? He said the, uh, the cameraman is going to the back. Apparently the outsiders are back there. And Jimmy Hart's up on the apron of the ring. Jimmy Hart is up on the apron of the ring. And this is not a Dungeon of Doom ploy. Yeah, this is not the place for a Dungeon of Doom. They don't... This is serious business here. Look at him. What's he doing? He's going berserk. He's trying to stop this match. He's trying to get anybody he can to help. And he's got the attention of Lex Luger. He's going to get out of there. They're going to nail him. Get out of there, Jimmy! He said we need help. Where are they going? They're going! Luger! Luger! Stink! Wait a minute, we go to the back! Arn Anderson down! There they are! They got baseball bats! The coward jerks! That's Marcus Bagwell! Wait a minute! All the all, everybody's left the ring here, and there's Rey Mysterio. Hey, he dove off. That's Rey Mysterio. There's the cruiserweight champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh no! Hey! Head first into the trailer in the back. He threw him like he was a dart. Arn Anderson, the first man we saw down. All six wrestlers have left the ring. This match is going to be a double countout. What match? The Macho hey, Man. He's on the. The Macho Man is on the limousine! Trying to get the sunroof! Oh my god! I don't know if we can... The Macho Man is grabbing through the limousine! I told you he's nuts! And people this are standing is, here. I don't, this is too much. Where's all the security we had here? All right, let's listen in. Let's just... There's Mysterio. There's... The American males are getting... Oh my god! Gentlemen, we apparently have some very serious injuries. Eddie! And we have to take a break? Eddie, what happened? All right, let's, let's take a break. What's he saying? What's he saying? Get out of here! There's some help here. He's not moving. Now, when they came back from commercial break, got to keep in mind, this is all in the back of the arena. So you got the fans in attendance that really aren't seeing what we're seeing on television. The person who deserves the Academy Award on all of the footage that went down, you know, in the aftermath of the NWO beatdown was Nancy, woman, God rest her soul. Because when she is 
uh, cradling Arn Anderson's head in her chest, and she's asking people, please get help. She is doing the crocodile tears. She's screaming. Miss Elizabeth is right next to her. I mean, she really put on a fucking phenomenal performance. Everybody in the back, and, you know, these are wrestlers. They're performers, but they're not, you know, polished actors and actresses. They really pulled this off well. And if you forgot about it, this beatdown that they did backstage, it felt so real that some people legitimately called the cops. It's not a joke. Some people legitimately called the ambulances. You know, fan, some people in, in, in the vicinity really thought that this was real what went down. And it was just done so freaking well. The problem is, is that even though I only played about five minutes of it, it went on another 20 minutes after the commercial break. And the fans in, in the arena started chanting boring because they really couldn't see the effects and, you know, just how powerful this looked on TV. But it was a awesome moment in the, the, uh, the progression of the NWO at the time. And everybody always remembers Nash throwing Rey Mysterio like a dart into the side of that trailer. So there you go. So now here is the first ever paid announcement by the NWO that aired on the same Nitro, say probably about 30 or 40 minutes after this entire beatdown. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. You know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. People are wondering who's going to be next. Don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah, it's invitation only there, chicos. What do you talk about the money? You talk about beating people up? Well, it's a new world order, and I hope it's okay, because there's nothing you can do about it. That's right. Power, fame, <laughs> money, and now our own corporations. You know, think about it. N-W-O. We're new. We're taking over world championship wrestling, and we're giving all the orders. It's the new way. Is that okay, Billionaire Ted? You don't like it? Come and fight. Is WCW even going to fight or are we just going to take it? We make the choices. Wait for the call. <laughs> you know, billionaire Ted, with all of Ted's horses and all of Ted's men, you're not going to be able to put the WCW back together again. I see it like this. Everybody wants to know who is next. Look at the third man we deliver. Everybody wants to know who's going to be four, who's going to be five. Is it another outsider? Or is it somebody right in the CNN center? We don't need you. We don't want you. We'll take you when we want you. These WCW guys, this Sting and Lex, they got soft. They living in Billionaire Ted's Country Club. Take a look at us. We have to fight, scratch, and claw for everything we got. And boys, we want you. I think the whole world wants to know one thing about Lex Luger. Hey, Lex. What are you, bitch? What are you, bitch, Lex? You guys know something. I almost forgot something that's really important. On August 10th, I'm wrestling the Giants. Oh. I forgot. It slipped my mind. I mean, 
the WCW Heavyweight title is on the line. That means, gentlemen, in one given night, we get to beat up the best that the WCW has, gentlemen. I find it quite ironic that the WCW could be so weak to bang, to plead, to cry out to the giant that he's their last hope, that he's their only chance of surviving the wrath of the NWO. On August the 10th, hog wild brother on that night, the outsiders become the insiders. And with 500,000 Harley Davisons by their side, the NWO will establish itself as the greatest wrestling organization on the earth, brother. You know, in Sturgis, me and the big man, we're gonna take care of a little grudge man. You know, Sting, you painted face punk. You've been whining and crying about how much you want us. You get your partner, you get Luger, you two punks, you get all pumped up. And chicos, you want us, don't sing it. We call it Armageddon. The genesis has begun. It's a new beginning, the beginning of the new world order. And on one given night, as you two amigos destroy the top talent in the WCW, the giant shall crumble and fall at Hulk Hogan's feet. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. And just one final tidbit regarding this whole NWO attack on Nitro. They had other opponents scheduled for the matches that took place later on. But because they were selling that these wrestlers got injured, they were subbed by others. I don't know how much the fans and the live crowd really appreciated this, but the Steiners ended up wrestling high voltage. They were originally supposed to take on the American males. I know a lot of people don't like the American males, but in 1996, they were actually uh, over a little bit. Eddie Guerrero was supposed to face Rey Mysterio, but because Rey Mysterio was knocked out between being thrown into the trailer, Eddie Guerrero instead got Big Bubba, Big Boss Man. And finally, in the main event, Arn Anderson was supposed to wrestle the Giant, but because Arn Anderson got injured because of the NWO beatdown, the main event was the Giant versus Greg DeHammer Valentine. So it's it was really well done. It really was. Cannot complain about just about all of it. Now we go to 1997. <laughs> this infamous promo, Bret Hart cut, you know, just recently turned heel, part of the Hart Foundation. WWF Raw was in Pittsburgh, and uh, Bret Hart said this. Last week, I said the United States of America was one big, giant toilet bowl. If you were going to give the United States of America an enema, you'd stick the holes right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know why? Because you're the pits. 
Now, that same night, Bret Hart actually would go on to lose to the Patriot. Yeah, it was an upset. But, you know, if you actually remember watching the match, Shawn Michaels was distracting him at ringside and... You know, the Patriot got the roll-up. And if you remember wrestling with shadows, when they actually showed uh, the Patriot, um, you know, like they would they would do in America the Beautiful, I believe, and the Patriot, he's blinking his eyes, profuse, like he'd simulate, like he's teary-eyed and choked up because of the flag and all that. And Bret Hart is on the opposite side of the ring, like, all right, can we fucking finish this? And then Bret Hart attacks the Patriot while the National Anthem or America the Beautiful is playing. You know, this day and age, you do that. Can you imagine the uproar? I mean, come on, think about that. It, but it was really, really good, and it helped Bret Hart get even more over as a heel at the time. So, good, good memories, good memories, more good memories. 1998, this week in history, first ever debut episode of Sunday Night Heat. Now, for this show, the matches it's pretty stacked. Matches: Edge versus Jeff Jarrett. Draws in the Headbangers versus Kai and Ty. Ken Shamrock versus D'Lo Brown. Kane and Mankind versus Owen Hart and The Rock. Number one contenders match for the uh, tag titles. So for Sunday Night Heat, it's a pretty damn good little show. I think what a lot of people forget is that this was also the debut of Shane McMahon on TV. Now, yes, Shane McMahon refereed WWF matches in the early 90s. But as far as Shane McMahon, the character, hearing his voice... Sunday Night Heat was the debut of Shane McMahon. So not only were we introduced to Shane McMahon, but we were also introduced to him on commentary. So if you've never heard it or maybe forgot about it or didn't even realize it, let's take a little flashback to 1998. This is how Sunday Night Heat opened up. This is how we were introduced to Shane McMahon. And this was his commentary during the Jeff Jarrett edge match. And just to paint one little picture when Shane McMahon comes out to the ring he's got two very beautiful women uh on his arms side you know alongside him coming to the ring very very sexy outfits you know basically trying to play off that Shane McMahon's a little bit of a playboy I think that's what they were going with but here you go first ever match debut Sunday Night Heat debut Shane McMahon Steve Austin is here, and and so are a 
couple of beautiful ladies. Well, they're headed our way, King. Hey, King. Well, folks, as we said, the rattlesnake is here. He'll keep a close eye on the big tag team showdown between The Rock and Owen Hart as they battle Pain and Mankind. Stakes are high in that match. We'll tell you about that in the hour. The European top decided tonight. Ken Shamrock challenging D'Lo Brown. DX is here. And so is uh, Shane McMahon. King, uh, I guess we're being joined here by... Uh, we were told to uh, be here to, uh, to work here on Sunday Night Heat. I don't know what's going on. Well, it looks like we're being joined by Shane McMahon and a couple of lovely ladies. Oh, young lady. I can't hear a thing you're saying until you put this right here on. Well, yeah, JR, welcome to Sunday Night Heat. What's well, going on? Well, we having a blast? There you go, young lady. We'll take that. Here we go. Have a seat there, ladies. We're in for a good time tonight. And starting it off, here comes, he's in the house, Edge. There he is, coming through the crowd, JR. Feel that vibe. He is a unique individual. The Enigma, Edge. He comes through the crowd and hits without warning. Right. Let's all get up on our feet in a giant show of respect for the greatest star of all. He's Uh, Double J and Double J to meet the answer, Shane. We got, the, we got the king here too, you know. Kingfish, what's going on well, tonight? I, I, I'm just barely here at the table, but you know what? I don't mind being pushed aside for this kind of scenery. It must be very nice being the son of Mr. Vincent McMahon. Well, it's going to be the princess. So membership does have its privilege. Ooh, I guess. This is Allie. Who? Allie? Allie. Allie, very nice to meet you. Kyla. Hi. Hi. Are you, are you 21? Here we go, Double J now, taking the advantage on Edge, trying to tie him up, good strategy, you see it all the time in hockey, trying to blind him, get him down, and throw those rights. It's a veteran move by Double J with a big experience advantage here. He's made a business, Edge sent to the far side, bang, how'd that feel in the spine? JR, the aggressor. Well, Double J and... Many people's view at the crossroads of his career, he's got to make some changes to get to the next yeah. level. And that was a face-first flapjack. Nice job, nice job. Boom, going downtown. Nice tackle. Bang, bang, bang. Edge is going crazy. Yeah. You ladies having a good time? We're having a party? Yeah, we're in a party. Party time. Oh, yeah. Uh -uh. Party you think, hard. Shane, you guys may get as physical as these two oh, guys are getting? Oh. Easy. We'll see, Kingfish. 
Edge knocked off the apron by Double J. Tennessee Lee was distracting there. Whoa. Nice baseball slow. Oh, how'd that feel? King, they, these young ladies may need a chaperone. Well, JR, you're welcome. It's Sunday night heat when I heat it up. We have him. King will go. I'm a happy well, hey, hey, there you go. Now you're talking. I, I was going to say, they look like they're in pretty good hands with Shane there, JR. I'm sure they are. Set to the far side now. Double J, underhook. Well, we go. Russian leg sweep. No, we get downtown. Hey. That could be it, JR. A reverse Russian leg sweep there. A new move by that Double J. Reverse Russian leg sweep. That's what you call that maneuver? Very effective. New move. New move. New move. Double J going up top. Check him out. He's going up top. Will he be able to hit it? Goes across body. Reverse the one. Two count in. Oh. What a matchup on the premier broadcast of Sunday Night Heat and rumblings from the camp of uh, Double J and Tennessee Lee that those two may not be getting along. And what a DDT there. Heating things up here Sunday Night Heat. Did you guys know that Allie was the Playboy's lingerie model of the year? You're oh, kidding me. No, look at this. Do you see that? You mean you were naked? Lingerie, hey, God. We said lingerie. Check that out. Oh, oh, hello, Kingfish. You want to take you a look at that? Pass that down to there you go. I'll pass it down to you. Here we go. Back to the match, Jr. Double J got a choke on. Looks like a choke. Pure and simple, a choke hold by by Double J on the edge. And wait a minute, makeup ladies. Oh, here comes go. out here oh, for us. We, we really fans. do have a makeup lady. Here comes oh, out here for that. us. Thank you. What the hell am I going to do with makeup? Right. And you too, there, Kingfish. Thank you. Oh, we do have to call part of this match, ladies. Sorry about that. We'll catch up later on tonight. Oh, right. After some drinks and uh... Possibility. Possibility. Uh, How can you concentrate on the match, Shane? Here we go. Nice suplex. No. Oh. It's going down. Reverse suplex, possibly. Nice. Jay, would that be a snap suplex? Absolutely. Snap suplex. Oh, and one more time. Get Double J disoriented. Oh, can we see a third? No. Oh, yeah. First. Check that bad boy out. Could that be it? One, two, and oh. Two and a half, JR? Two and three quarters? That was close, somewhere between there. Shane, you might want to send your makeup lady over to Tennessee Lee. Look out, he's sweating. He's sweating Crisco. Up <laughs> the far side. Oh. Oh. oh, how's that feeling? How's that feel, that pain? Bam to the outside. Double J going down the hard way. There's your pal, JR, Tennessee Lee. Well, as we reported earlier, there may be problems with Tennessee and Double J. Double J just gave Tennessee some sort of signal. Hey, to his leg or his ankle. Tennessee going for the ankle right there. Well, Edge better keep his eye on his adversary. It's best not be gazing out here at Tennessee Lee. That's what I got to say. And he better not look over here at the announce table either. He'll really get distracted. Hey, back off! Well, my dad is the greatest promoter of all time. You guys know that. Look at that. Hey, wait a minute. One, two, three, count. It's it. They may grab the wrong guy's leg. Here is your winner, Edge. There he is, the Enigma. JR Tennessee Lee has screwed up again. Well, Edge remains undefeated before 18,000 fans here in the premier broadcast of Sunday Night Heat. Edge, the tortured soul, victorious here. Tennessee Lee upset that Edge is out of control. He, he's warped. He ain't right. No, he's, he ain't right. He ain't all there. Well, Tennessee and the double shake, King. You know both these men very well. They're having some problems. Well, I mean, that was, a, I guess, a legitimate mistake by Tennessee Lee. He certainly didn't mean to grab double J leg, did he, Shane? Well, you wouldn't think so, King. Look, there you see Double J giving the high side to Tennessee Lee. They didn't count on Edge doing the reversal. Tennessee Lee grabbed his own man. Edge capitalizes. One, two, three.
Oh, hey, Mario Lopez, check it out. Amy Hunter Cornelius, the new stars of Pacific Blue. Jared, that's following this show tonight. Wrapping up 1998, WWE, this week in history, also had the fully loaded pay-per-view. There were some matches on there that we will always remember. Owen Hart versus Ken Shamrock in the dungeon match. Remember when Ken Shamrock's head went through the, the fucking sheetrock on the ceiling? Rock and Triple H going to a 30-minute time limit draw, best out of three falls match for the IC Championship. Undertaker and Steve Austin winning the WWF tag titles from Kane and Mankind. Mark Henry getting a surprise win over Vader. There's a lot of matches that night, but the one that people always remember was Sable defeating Jacqueline in a bikini contest. Now, the following night on Raw, the decision would be reversed. And the reason why it was reversed was because Sable really wasn't wearing a bikini. This was the night, this week in wrestling history, that Sable pulled off a top to reveal nothing but hands imprinted on her tits. It was just wild. And Jerry Lawler playing the pig, you know, just a womanizing pig, his reaction is fucking priceless. It's just a very memorable moment. And even Mark Merrow's face, you know, he wasn't too thrilled about it either. But, you know, Jerry Lawler made it even more entertaining. So if you've never seen it or if you haven't seen it, you know, at the time, I know there was definitely jit gel rags flowing all across the globe. 1999, you know, we had a little surprise win for Edge. Won the Intercontinental title, albeit just for one day. Now, Edge is still fairly new in the WWF. And what had happened was they were doing a house show in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Jeff Jarrett was supposed to face Ken Shamrock for the IC Championship. But because of travel problems, Ken Shamrock couldn't appear, so they decided to go with Edge. And WWF gave Edge the surprise victory at the house show. Um, Edge has done interviews since then saying he didn't even know he was going to win the title that night. I don't even think WWF do that either. But they decided they wanted to give it to him. And unfortunately, you know, the following night at the fully loaded pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett would regain the title back against Edge. But still... You know, a really cool moment for local fans in Canada to see Edge win and win the IC title at a house show. It's definitely a, a nice memory for not only the fans, but for Edge as well. So as I just said, 1999 as well, they had the fully loaded pay-per-view. You know, it was okay. Steve Austin beating The Undertaker in a full uh, first blood match. You know, they, they, this is the era where they're doing hokey, ridiculous storylines that they never fucking adhered to. The stipulation, did I say storylines? No, ridiculous stipulations. The stipulation in this one, because Steve Austin won, Vince McMahon could never appear on WWF programming ever again. He would be on TV about six and a half weeks later. So go figure. Uh, Another match that I remember from that night, Ken Shamrock over Steve Blackman in an Iron Circle match. Basically, they were like in a in like a parking garage. They had all these old cars in the garage. Not old like 50s and 60s. I'm talking like, you know, beat up 80s cars and early 90s. You know, grand marquees and shit like that. And you had wrestlers, you know, all around the cars. Now, if you remember Eddie Guerrero and John Cena brawling like in a parking lot, that was awesome. This, though, had so much potential and it really was not good. And, you know, you had wrestlers constantly beeping the horns and, you know, trying to bang on the hoods. They tried, but the match was very disappointing. So 
2000, Triple H, you know, in the back, basically giving some advice, Trish Stratus, coaching how to do some wrestling moves. Triple H is behind Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus bends down, kind of simulates a little bit of doggy style, if you know what I mean. And sure enough, who opens up the locker room door as this is happening? Stephanie McMahon. So that infamous moment where Triple H was given some move advice to Trish and, you know, in a compromising position, that happened this week in 2000. Also this week in 2000, on Monday Nitro, you heard me talk about it a week or two ago, Lance Storm would go on some big-time momentum, holding three titles at the same time in WCW. Well, this week he won title number two. He defeated Big Vito for the Hardcore Championship. Landstorm's U.S. title was also on the line. So since he defeated Vito, he would now hold the Hardcore Championship and the U.S. title. Also this week in 2000, I wonder how many people remember this. You know, you think of Dennis Rodman in wrestling, you always think of WCW, NWO. Now we're talking the year 2000. So WCW's still around. The NWO storyline's still around. Some wrestlers are still around, but you didn't realize that they weren't in WCW anymore. So at this time, you had here and there other promotions trying to pull off a pay-per-view. You know, you think of all the momentum, the Monday Night Wars, the insane ratings that Raw and Nitro are getting. So why not try to strike while the iron is hot? You do a pay-per-view, you might, you know, put on some great matches and you might get a whole bunch of people to buy it. Didn't happen, though. <laughs> I-Generation, Superstars of Wrestling, they taped the pay-per-view. It took place in Sydney, Australia. They did have about 10,000 fans in attendance, but a lot of them were comped. Heavily, heavily comped event. And to be fair to this event, again, this is just people cutting and pasting bullshit, saying it's one of the worst wrestling shows ever. I mean, if you actually go read other side, it, it wasn't. That you could actually find this event online. I watched it. Is it fucking phenomenal? No. Is it on the level of WCW to WWE at this time? No. It wasn't meant to be. It was a decent pay-per-view. Wasn't fucking spectacular, but it wasn't one of the worst shows of all time. It's just asinine and dumb. But anyway, some uh, match results from that night. Road Warriors over the Public Enemy in an elimination tables match to win the dead tag titles. Barbarian over Brute Force, who is Brutus the Barbie Cake. They had to use a different name because obviously trademark. Sweet Destiny over Brandy Wine. One Man Gang over Tatanka to win their I-Generation uh, Australian Championship, I believe. And the main event was Kurt Henning over Dennis Rodman by DQ for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um... You know, that match was heavily, heavily hyped. And Dennis Rodman did not embarrass himself. So, you know, again, was it a great pay-per-view? No. Was it one of the worst ever? That's asinine. But it did happen this week in 2000. 2001, five-time, five-time, five-time WCW champion. Happened this week on Raw. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Booker T defeated Kurt Angle in a no-DQ match to win the WCW World Heavyweight title. This would give Booker his fifth time as champion and his last. So there you go. One other title match to note from this event, X-Pac over Billy Kidman, title versus title match. 
the light heavyweight championship and the cruiserweight championship were on the line. Now, just to give you a little teaser of the future of WWE, this week in 2001, Ohio Valley Wrestling had an event in Jeffersonville, Indiana. So I just wanted to read you the results because this is the quote-unquote minor leagues of WWF at the time. And in 2001, OVW, if you were a fan and happened to get their shows locally, this is what you got. Brock Lesnar defeating Leviathan, who you now know is uh, Batista. Molly Holly over Victoria. David Flair over Dean Malenko. Jerry Lynn over Josh Wilcox. That's a name I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard in a while. Rick Constantino and a prototype, John Cena, over Randy Orton and Bobby Eaton. And the main event, Team OVW, which was Mark Henry, Nick Dinsmore, Eugene, Damager, and Rob Conway over the Revolution in a War Games match. That's a fucking stacked card. Happened this week, 2001. Going to get uh, some audio clips again in a moment. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 2002. Ring of Honor awards their first ever champion. Loki defeats Spanky, who knows Brian Kendrick, Christopher Daniels, and Doug Williams in a four-way 60-minute Ironman match to become their first ever champion. Now, I did math on this, and I am really good in math. And I remember this at the time, I remember bringing this up on my hotline. Never thought I would ever have the opportunity to bring it up again. But just to show you how, you know, people call it, oh, it was so unique. It's so different. And, you know, maybe it gave ideas for TNA later on. It was stupid. What did they do? The fucking points system. You know, when you read this elsewhere, you'll read it was a unique bout. And how it would work is that the person who actually won the pinfall of submission gained two points. The person who lost or was defeated lost a point. So because there was this decision and that decision and because of this decision, and if Loki would have lost this match instead of won it, he would have, he would have lost it. No fucking shit. Think of that stup- stupidity. If Loki would have lost, he would have lost the match. He would have not had enough points. Come on. But just to show you, and look, I'm going to give Ring of Honor credit because it sounded creative at the time, but just to show you how ridiculously dumb this really was. You know, sometimes less is more, and I know they wanted to be overly creative, but I want you to just follow me with this. It's only going to take a second, but I'm going to just show you how ridiculous this point system was. All right. Now, I want you to just pretend that it's me versus you in a match okay now the whole idea just to set this up is that i win the first two falls and then you win the first two the next two falls so after four falls it should be two to two right i win the first fall i win the second fall you win the third fall you win the fourth fall it's two to two right so now i want you to take those same the listen to this i want you to take those same four falls and now let's use ring of honor's point system that night all right, because I won the first fall, I got two points. You lost a point. So after one match, I'm winning two to negative one. So now I win the second match. Holy shit, Don Tony's fucking dominating me. The crowd, Ring of Honor, how are anybody going to come back from this? After two falls, it's Don Tony four, you minus two. But now all of a sudden, wait, 
you win fall number three. So wait a minute. So now Don Tony goes from four points down to three points because I lost. And because you won, you actually gain two points. So you go from minus two to nothing. So now after three falls, I'm still beating you three to nothing. Even though I only won two falls, you only won one. I'm beating you three nothing. So now the fourth fall, I lose that one as well. So now because I lost that match, I go from three points to two. And because you had no points and you won the match, you go from zero to two. So after four falls, what's the goddamn score based on Ring of Honor's rules? Two to two. What did I say earlier the score was? Two to two. So now just to add one final fall to this, it's two to two. So now, because if you stick to Ring of Honor's points, you win the the final fall. You win fall number five. So now I go from two points down to one. You go from two points up to four. So after five falls, you beat me four to one. But I really won. You see where I'm going with this? How fucking dumb was that? You should have just left it. You win a fucking fall. You win a point. You lose a fall. You lose a point. Or you get nothing. I won one fall. I'm beating you one to nothing. I beat you two falls in a row. I'm beating you two to nothing. Ah, you win a fall, Kate's two to one. You win a second fall, it's two to two. This is when you try to be really, really cutesy and over-creative, and when you actually take a step back, you realize all it's doing is giving fucking brain aneurysms to people. In history, you just fucking say you want an extra fall. Come on. Just my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. Wrapping up 2002, fun match. Only happened once in their careers. Monday Night Raw, Ric Flair versus The Rock. You've never seen this match. It is a really fun match. Non-title. Rock's heavyweight title was not on the line that night, but this was a friendly challenge from The Rock to, to Ric Flair. And this match was so freaking entertaining. And what was so refreshing about it, no interference, legitimate winner even had a handshake after the match was over and even the announcers talked about how it was so refreshing to see a match go down you know somebody wins somebody loses no clusterfuck no interference no controversy straight up fun match only time they ever faced each other one-on-one here you go the rock versus rick flair monday night raw this week 2002 
past Saturday in 90 minutes. And The Rock will defend the undisputed title of SummerSlam against the next big thing, Brock Lesnar. But tonight was a match that The Rock wanted. The Rock wanted this non-title match with Nature Boy Ric Flair for the privilege, for the honor of stepping in the ring in North Carolina, in Greensboro specifically, against the Nature Boy. Is something, JR. This place is electric. I tell you what, I've known Flair for over 20 years, and there's a there's a lot of the rock that has a, been a derivative of his years watching Flair. <laughs> the confidence. Look at the rock, though. I mean, this is a, a different look on the rock's face right here. The rock could beat Hollywood Hogan at WrestleMania. Now has the opportunity deep in North Carolina to take on Ric Flair. Flair, a 16-time former champion for a nice arm drag takedown by The Rock. And another deep arm drag takedown. Flair taking on The Rock. High elevation, a back body drop, and the, and the veteran got to got to regroup here a little bit. I'll tell you what, I don't know what else could, could happen here tonight. We uh, started a program with the, the Un-Americans, the tag team champions, Christian and... And Lance Storm, a long straight, test. Straight from SmackDown. Right, so shocking us all, defecting from SmackDown to Raw. We saw the big show almost end Trish Stratus' career, and that meant from Bubba Dudley, Trish would have been, she'd have been devastated on that table. Oh, Rock now. Yeah. Comes back with an arm drag yeah. on yeah. And Flair with three arm drags on The Rock, and The Rock now. Regrouping here somewhat. He's styling and profiling King. Doing a little strut there. We got a new hardcore champion tonight. We got a new intercontinental champion tonight. We do there. That rabbit Wolverine. And we still don't have a medical update on on uh, May Young. May and Mula abused by those two monsters that Bischoff sicked on them. Put Medicare and Medicaid out of business for treating her tonight. What about what those un-Americans did to the Undertaker, the original American badass? But who put Shawn Michaels through that car window? That's that's the old sixty-four thousand dollars. You know what? That could have been the un-Americans as well. Could have been a lot of people, a lot of folks out there looking around for more than an interesting bystander to point of view. I would assume. That's the rock forces and nature more back in the in the corner. You know, I saw the big show out there. Could have been. Show. Oh, look at that shot! Oh, the Rock! The Rock connected the that corner. And the fans here not too pleased with that. This is, again, Rick Flair country. He cut his teeth here in North Carolina. And The Rock putting a page out of the ground. Flair crowd here tonight. Oh, look at Flair. He's outside. He's going to give it. Take it right to the rock. Oh, 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 oh,
gentlemen, though, both men have a great deal of respect for each other. So much so that The Rock wanted this match. I don't think The Rock wanted this match to show his respect yet. He's shown very little respect to Ric Flair so far, JR. I think The Rock just wanted to beat Ric Flair here tonight right for the Ric Flair's hometown fans. And Flair back heel trip. Flair, the master of figure four, Leglock. We have seen this sequence of moves on many occasions, so apparently has the Rock. Comes up with a clothesline, the Rock up quickly, the undisputed champion. Yeah, listen to this. Maybe the Rock is sending a message to Brock Lesnar. I've seen this side of the Rock before. He's got a mean streak in it. That's good. Hey, hey. Hard right hand by the Rock. That's where trying to pull himself up. Got like a man with a mean streak, JR. Shot that was. I'll tell you what, King, this is. This is all about competition. It's been all about competition all night long in a large sense. With two new champions crowned, the defection the of the Un-Americans, and now The Rock. He just sent waiting on Ric Flair. Come on, just bring it, Flair. Rock, baby, look at The Rock bottom. And oh, they're trying to grab a front face lock, but he got a spin on the pine. And the now he's going to get it. Now Flair's going to really get it. Here goes the people's elbow pad. The most electrifying move in sports entertainment history. People don't want Ric Flair. What? Wait a minute. Flair counter. Flair counter before Rock came down. Flair looking for the figure four. Rock kicks out of it. Double leg kick up by The Rock. And The Rock. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. Oh, the Rock's got a submission move himself. That's not respect. There's a sharpshooter. No respect whatsoever. The Rock with a sharpshooter on Ric Flair. The king is competitive. It's a rock competition. Oh, to give it up or get to the ropes one. And he does. Flair into the ropes. The Rock breaks the hole cleanly. A lot of damage done now by the Rock. Uh oh. Here we go. Rock again stepping over. Hooking those ankles. And now I'm trying to go behind Flair with a thumb to the eye. That's why he's the dirtiest player in the game. Stop that look. Hard shot. And now Flair. He's looking at that figure four. How did he get it? Summer Slam!
tonight the match or main event was about respect. Woo! That was something, JR. I thought Flair had the rock in big time trouble. And then Flair strutted right, as, right into the rock bottom. Like, oh, the rock, what are you thinking about here? Flair walked right as I walking into a right hand by, by Mike Tyson. Hey, but you know what? Flair said he, he had an event, a big announcement to make after this match. Well, that's right. I can only imagine what that could be. There's the hand! The people's oh, hand. Friendship and respect! That's about competition. That's what Raw's about. Whoa, 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 that's about competition. Look at Rick Flair raising the rock's hand. From perhaps the greatest champion in the eyes of many of all time, Rick Flair, to the man, the man, the undisputed champion, the rock. A competitive, respectful main event. How refreshing is that for once? 2003, Monday Night Raw, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Molly Holly defeats Gail Kim to win the women's title. And Molly would go on to hold the title for about seven months. Pretty cool. Another audio clip coming momentarily. 2003, really, really sick, scary match. I remember it clearly at the time. Hardcore fans, it was will agree also just way over the top. If you've never seen it, you want to go seek out the video. I'm just warning you, it is very unsettling to see. Happened in Dover, Delaware, who is ve- that state is very, very lax when it comes to hardcore rules. Combat Zone wanted to do their events in Pennsylvania. They wanted to do their events in Jersey. And even Jersey, it was somewhat lax with their hardcore rules as well. But Delaware a whole fucking different animal. The shit that you could get away with in Delaware with hardcore wrestling at that time was unheard of. It was insane. I, I just think back at that time, this was right after XPW invading Philly. This was just sick, sick shit. Nick Mondo over Ian Rotten, 200 light tubes match to win Combat Zone Wrestling's Tournament of Death 2. Now, this was a tournament. So you had semifinal matches as well. And unfortunately, Nick Bondo had a semifinals match. Now, keep in mind, what I'm about to say happened before the, the finals. All right. You had Nick Bondo versus John Zandick. John Zandick did like a, I don't know if you would call it Death Valley Driver. I know they, they the name of the move was the motherfucking bomb. Just picture this. They build a little like log cabin type thing out of light tubes. They have tables. So what happens? You have John Zandig and Nick Mondo climb the top of a roof of a building. And he throws them off the building. They both go off the building through tables, through light tubes. There is a gash on the back of Nick Mondo that makes some people queasy. And his injuries were so bad, he never had a career again. And he was only 23 years old at the time. And again, if you seek out this video, it is disturbing. And it was just way too extreme, way too over the top. It's just amazing that you didn't have some people literally drop dead from some of this stuff. It was just, it was out of control. Hardcore wrestling around 03, really, really out of control in some areas. So, And I'm not taking anything away from the people who performed that night. It takes a shitload of balls to do what they did, but they're just a little bit too far, in my opinion. 2003 as well, Pro Wrestling Gorilla from California is created and uh, was created by California wrestlers, Joey Ryan, 
Super Dragon, Disco Machine, PWG. You know, they had some very unique uh, artwork to themselves, you know, just the way that they presented their product. You know, it was, uh, it, it, had a, it had a California influence to it. I don't want to say Hollywood influence to it, but PWG events were very unique at the time. You go back and you look at this first ever event in 2003. I think the main event was AJ Styles versus Kazarian. And they had others on the on the show as well that that you know were mainstream talent at the time. You had a lot of locals as well, but for anybody that's ever been a fan of PWG, it all started this week in two thousand and three. And uh, wrapping up two thousand and three, WWE had their Vengeance pay per view from Denver, Colorado. This was the first SmackDown only pay-per-view because they did the brand split right before this the month before they had raw with bad blood so this is the first smackdown now keep in mind you know yes raw and smackdown split in this day and age you feel that the roster is very watered down not enough mainstream stars you go back and you look at this card in 2003 i think people would arguably say this is a stack card matches from that night smackdown only keep in mind you had ultimo dragon over chris canyon Eddie Guerrero uh, won Chris, uh, defeated Chris Benoit in a tournament for the U.S. title. They brought the U.S. title back, WCW's U.S. title. Jamie Noble with Nitty over Billy Gunn with Tori Wilson. Bradshaw won his APA Invitational Barroom Brawl. I wanted to play the audio for it, but you got to watch it. And you look back on it, it's hokey, it's kind of corny, but it looked like a lot of fun. And I legitimately think to this day that it was a real invitational behind the scenes. I think WWE probably said, look, anybody want to brawl? Anybody want to be part of this? By all means. And you had like Brother Love on it, but you also had, you know, the wrestlers, Matt Hardy, Nunzio, Shannon Moore, the Bashams, Sean O'Hare was on it. But then you had corny stuff like the Easter Bunny. Uh, Johnny Nitro was on it. He was John Hennigan at the time. But it was, it was, it was fun. The concept was fun. World's greatest tag team over Mysterio and Kidman in a tag team title match. Sable over Stephanie in a no countout match. Undertaker over John Cena. Mr. McMahon over Zach Allen. Kurt Angle over Brock Lesnar and Big Show. Triple threat match for the WWE title. That's a stacked card. You know, but keep in mind that this time in 2003, we're only slightly over two years removed from WCW and ECW going out of business. So a lot of wrestlers from those organizations are still active, are still able to compete. So WWE had their biggest stacked roster around 02, 03, 04 era. So, you know, you can have split products at that time and really put on a phenomenal stack card. 2004, WWE Raw, Chris Benoit over Triple H for... Decisions to three in a 60-minute Iron Man match to retain the World Heavyweight title. It is the last time that WWE has had a one-hour Iron Man slash Iron Woman match on TV. Don't know if we'll ever see one again because an hour is an awfully long time to keep people's attention on television especially. But it happened this week in 2004. Also this week in 2004, NWA TNA had their weekly pay-per-view from Nashville. Michael Shane and Frankie Kazarian won the X Division title of AJ Styles. 
Now, how did two people win over one? Well, it was actually a three-way match. What had happened was Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane both retrieved the championship at the very same time, so they were both awarded the championship. So you had two winners that night. Also this week in 2004, SmackDown's taping. Another audio clip for all of you. What had happened was we opened up SmackDown and Booker T, who was the U.S. champion, was bragging that he was champion and he uh, was greeted by Rob Van Dam, who was then greeted by Kenzo Suzuki, who was then greeted by Billy Gunn, then Luther Reigns, then Charlie Haas, then Rene Dupree, then John Cena. Next thing you know, you got eight people in the ring all beating each other up, fighting each other. And Vince McMahon comes out, you know, there's no law and order. So he appoints a new SmackDown GM. And who was that player? This is how it went down. Oh, John Cena into the ring, and look at this. All hell has broken loose over the prestigious United States Championship. Oh, no doubt about it, John Cena wants his championship back. If the former GM turn angle strips him, the goal straight up rocket busted Donnybrook right now. Maybe the chance begin and fireworks are not over yet. No because here comes the boss. Oh man. And Mr. McMahon's got that look in his eyes and that walk going too. Eight men are hammering each other in the ring, oblivious to the fact that the chairman of the board is making a beeline. And the chairman of the board doesn't look happy. He's trying to settle this thing down here. Look at this man walking there with all these hands. How is that knocking off? Knock it off! Knock it off, damn it! Stop it! I'll fire every damn one of you! Seems no matter where I go, I always stand in the middle of controversy and chaos and turmoil. But that's not my place to stand tonight. That's the place for somebody else to stand. That's the place for someone who will decide the fate of the United States Heavyweight Championship. The person who will stand in this ring will be the new general manager. Oh yeah, and I believe in baptismal by fire, so therefore there is no better time than to introduce you to your new general manager, Theodore Rawls. Wow. Whoa. Not quite what I expected. Oh, that's just cool, man. Well, the player is a Uber and shaker, so to speak, but I'll tell you, Theodore Rawls, but he's in the middle of controversy and turmoil right now. We got a new general manager. Okay, is it? Yeah. What's this first order of business going to be to decide what happens to the now vacant United States Championship? Mr. Long is in the house. The new general manager of SmackDown. This is a shocker. Mr. McMahon shaking hands with the new man in charge of Thursday night. Thank you very much, Mr. McMahon. Thank you and thank you again. Now, let's, just a minute, let's see what we've got here. Now, as I look around, I see there's eight men out here acting like children, arguing over who will be the U.S. champion. 
Now you see, it's obvious to me that there's only one man here tonight that deserves to be the U.S. champion, and that man, Mr. Long. Mr. Long, I want to thank you, and I graciously accept. Hold on just a minute, player. I got news for you. You ain't accepting anything. Now I want to know, did I call your name? Did I ask Booker T to step forward? Well, let me say something, Booker T. You've been hating on SmackDown ever since you've been here, player. So, I'll say this to you. Why in the hell should I give you anything? Now you tell me that. Well, let me, let me say something, Booker T. Here's what's gonna happen here tonight. This is the land of opportunity. Nobody is gonna give anybody anything. So what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to make my first ruling. And that is, I will have, for the first time ever, an eight-man elimination championship match for the U.S. title. Wow! Wow, that's great! Wow! And you know something? All eight of you, it's going to be every man for himself right here tonight in Cincinnati. Now you better believe that. Mr. Long laying it down, Cole. An auspicious start for the new general manager, making major impact in eight-man elimination matchups for the United States Championship tonight. 2005, get two more on the Eclipse, and I know you're going to enjoy both. Even though one of them is John Cena, I still think you're going to enjoy it. First, this week in 05, WWE had the Great American Bash from Buffalo, New York. reason why I mention this event is because this was the last ever TV appearance of Mark Copane, who was playing Muhammad Hassan. He wrestled Undertaker. I think a lot of people forget that was a number one contenders match all right, for the title. So, you know, Muhammad Hassan, when you hear that he, you know, was on pace of winning the title that summer, yeah, I mean, it, everything seemed to lead to that. But what a really abrupt, sad way for Muhammad Hassan's career to end in WWE. He wrestled Undertaker. He lost. You know, they did that spot where Undertaker threw him through the stage and he would be sent back to OVW, stood there for about two months and uh, was released altogether. And that's been uh, the history of uh, Muhammad Hassan since we've had one indie appearance, and that's it. So pretty sad. Now we go to Raw, and we go to SmackDown. Two audio clips. One I remember is hokey. I listened to it again. It still feels hokey. But because Eddie Guerrero was involved with it, it makes it a little bit more enjoyable. But before we do that, it was this week on Monday Night Raw, 2005. We were supposed to have a battle of the bands. It was supposed to be Fozzie performing live on Raw versus John Cena performing live on Raw. And this is right after John Cena debuted his rap album with bumpy knuckles and everything. So John Cena went first and they performed Bad, Bad Man. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Unfortunately, we did not get Chris Jericho performing as Fozzie. He would come out, cut a promo on Cena. Fans would shit all over Jericho. He's like, you don't deserve Fozzie. And I even think there was a promo earlier with uh, Maria when she was playing the idiot at the time. And she's like, Fozzie, oh, I love Fozzie the bear. Waka, waka, waka. You know, that's what it was. So we never got Fozzie performing that night. On SmackDown... We're in the midst of the feud between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And for some reason, WWE decided to incorporate Rey Mysterio's real-life son, Dominic, into the storyline. So now we're fresh off the Great American Bash. 
Rey Mysterio is in the ring with his little son, Dominic. He's just basically giving props to the crowd, and he's interrupted by Eddie Guerrero, and this is what happened. Dominic and I came out here for one thing. Thank you. Thank you very much for the support. Gracias. Gracias por el apoyo que me han dado. Hey, Ray! Oh, no. Eddie Guerrero. I thought he wasn't here, though. Arale, Dominic! What's up, Holmes? Now, I know you didn't think I was going to be here tonight, but after what happened on Sunday, well... Well... I couldn't resist. I had to come. Eddie, this is over. You stay away from my son. Oh, 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 don't worry, Ray. I'm not gonna get anywhere near your son. See, Ray, I made you a promise, Holmes. And Eddie Guerrero, he keeps his promises. Now, even though you beat me at the Great American Bash, I also promised you other things, like I never lose. No one beats me at the end, Ray. I always win at the end. I'm Eddie Guerrero. Nobody beats me porque yo soy la ley. I am the law. And I may have promised you and my wife to keep my mouth shut if you beat me at the Great American Bash, which you did. But guess what, Ray? I lie. Actually, well, I feel like telling a little bedtime story. Eddie's bedtime story. You know, the one I started long ago, the one with... Hey, don't go, like, hey, don't go to even, don't go there! Oh, yeah. Stop that! Once upon a time... In a land far, far away lived a little boy named Dominic. Dominic, Dominic! Ray is not your father! No es tu papá, mijo! The truth of the matter is I'm your father, Dominic. I'm your papi. Is it true, Dad? Is it really true? 
cambió. No le hagas caso. No, no. Dame. Mijo. It's this arena. Maybe it's you people. I know what it is. Ray, Ray probably didn't want to hear the rest of the story. But I bet all of you do. Chemo, get off your lazy and bring me the chair. Now let me get real comfortable because it's Eddie's bedtime stories. So let's dim the lights and I'll be very quiet like good little boys and girls. Hmm. Chapter one. There was a time when me and my wife were separated. And I was going to little local, partying, drinking, having sex with a lot of different mamacitas. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Well, one day, one of these came and told me that she was pregnant. I didn't want anything to do with that, Nino, and neither did she. I mean, come on, she already had seven of them. So I told her I would take care of it. Well, I was off making many, many babies all over the place. Ray and his wife were trying to do the same thing. Unfortunately, Ray was shooting a lot of blanks. So when my little bambino came into the world, out of the goodness of my loving heart, I gave my bambino to my best friend to raise as his own son. 
And that baby was named Dominic. Now, we never sent any adoption papers. I just handed my son to Ray and his wife, and well, let's just say they were very happy. They were living a beautiful life. All their prayers were answered. They were in paradise. So instead of me being daddy, I became Uncle Eddie. Man, that's a great story, isn't it? I mean, I feel good. Don't you? Oh, that feels great. I feel like a big monkey's off my back. Oh yeah, there's a big weight off my shoulders. Oh yeah. And Ray, if you think that was good, wait until next week and you hear chapter two. Two thousand and six, nice little personal moment for Triple H and Stephanie. This week in 06, they gave birth to their first ever daughter, Aurora Rose. It was cool for that. Also on Raw this week in 06, they had a nice little fun match, if you want to go check it out. Ric Flair and John Cena over Morrison and Edge. I actually watched it again this week, and it is a fun match if you want to go check it out. And also on Raw that week, they were in the midst of doing a diva search. I figured you all get a kick out of this. The Miz was hosting at the time. And this week on Raw, they had an elimination, and this is who was eliminated. All right, ladies. This is it. One of you did not get enough votes to move on to the next round. Now, even though Milena won the Diva Dance-Off last Friday night on SmackDown, everyone is up for elimination. So let's get to it. Who do you think it's going to be? I think we should keep all seven. Will it be Layla? Or maybe Rebecca? Let's keep them all. The WWE fans have spoken. And the diva with the fewest amount of votes is Mariz. Sorry, girl. You are eliminated. Thank you. You've done a wonderful job. Give it up for And now they are happily married with child. It's pretty cool. 2007, WWE signs Ted DiBiase Jr. to a developmental deal. Unfortunately, he's been gone from the company since 2013. You know, we thought that he was going to have a really bright, big future in the WWE, and it only lasted about six years. (laughs) One person who was in wrestling for a very short period of time that we probably didn't want in wrestling, not personal against him, but man, uh, what the fuck was TNA thinking? This week in 07, TNA signed Adam Pacman Jones. You know, you just think back at that time. 
He's suspended from the Tennessee Titans for multiple violations of their personal conduct policy. He was involved in a shooting at a strip club in Las Vegas. The guy, because he's still a football player, cannot actually compete. And they give him the fucking tag titles with Ron the Truth Killings. I mean, I thank God I was doing podcasting at that time because my comments as this is going down are documented and still available. This was the drizzling shits. This is one of the dumbest signings ever in the history of pro wrestling, let alone the fact you give this. I Nicholas winning a tag title with Braun Strowman. I would rather have this fuck. And it's not his fault. Just TNA's decisions. But this fuck has got the tag title. He can't even fucking hit moves. The fuck out of here. 2008. <laughs> now I know why 2008 really stuck out for a moment. Oh, we'll, we'll get into it in a moment. By the way, July 2008 will be also the highlight this week of what went down non-wrestling related. I chose July 08 for a reason. But first, this week in 08, you know, we just talked about Stephanie and Triple H giving birth a year before for their first ever child. Well, almost a year to the exact same day, they give birth to their second child. Uh, the Mur uh, Murphy Claire, Murphy Claire, second child. Congrats to them. Also this week in 08, Diamond Dallas Page and Jay-Z settle their lawsuit. You might recall that uh, Jay-Z started using the diamond cutter symbol. DDP was not happy about it. Actually got a lot of press at the time. I remember news organizations, TMZ, magazines, they were all covering this thing. And it got settled this week in 08. Also this week, 2008, we got the final edition of Saturday night's main event. Took place in Washington, D.C. Ratings were not good. It was just, you'd think that they would have done a little bit better on a Saturday night. Only did 2.3 million viewers, 0.7 rating. The matches from that night, JBL, Kane, and Legacy over Crime Time, Batista, and John Cena. Kali over Jimmy Wang Yang, and Edge over Jeff Hardy. That's all it was. So we haven't had one since, even though I do see them coming back. Also this week in 2008, we got the new GM for Raw. Now, I look back on it, and it's fascinating that last week, was the official announcement by WWE in 2008 that they were going PG. So not only were fans not thrilled about WWE deciding to go PG, I did not realize that it was only one week later in the midst of the PG era that we were introduced to our new Raw GM as far as WWE Raw goes. So now let me set this up a little bit. Got two quick audio clips for you. First clip is the opening of Raw. John Cena and Batista are in the ring. They've never faced off on a match one-on-one -on -one yet. They're basically cutting a little trash on each other. You know, Batista losing two championship matches in a row. He doesn't deserve another title match. John Cena wants one against CM Punk, blah, 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 blah. This ends up where the John Cena, I believe, challenges Batista to a match on Monday Night Raw. Keep in mind, they're also playing off that there's no law and order going on in WWE at that time. We have no GMs, no nothing. So as they're wrapping up their back and forth, we are interrupted by Shane McMahon's music, and this is what happened at the beginning of Monday Night Raw. There seems to be no sense of law and order around here. There's no 
McMahons, there's no general manager, everybody's making matches for themselves. Hear me out. John Cena and Dave Batista should headline WrestleMania. Everybody knows that. What do you say WrestleMania happens tonight? What do you say tonight, right here on your home turf, it is John Cena versus Batista? And we find out who the better man really is. <laughs> you know what? I've never faced you one-on-one, -on -one, and you're right. We are here in my lovely hometown of Washington, D.C. And I've got a whole arena full of friends and family who would love to see me whoop your ass all over this ring. <laughs> so this is what we're going to do. I'll tell you, you want it? My sister and I have appointed a new general manager of Raw, which I will personally have the privilege of introducing to all of you a little later on tonight. And that GM's been extremely busy. Matter of fact, one of the first things the GM has done, the, that person has hit the ground running and made several matchups for tonight, including the world heavyweight champion CM Punk. Will be in action tonight in that very ring against one of the most technically sound and hottest free agents in our business today. And as it relates to the two of you, wow, Batista versus Cena, all of us would love to see that. And hopefully we will soon. But the GM, Cena, already has plans for you. Tonight, Cena, you will be facing the tag team of JBL and his partner, Kane. Almost forgot one thing. And Cena, your tag team partner will be the hometown boy, the animal Batista. Wow, man. This, uh, Shane wasn't kidding when he said this, uh, this new general manager hit the ground running. Matches have been made. These two guys wanted to go one-on-one -on -one with each other instead. They're going to be partners here tonight on Raw against JBL and Kane. So now Monday Night Raw is about to be over. It's like 11.05, 11.06 p.m. We're about a minute done. We don't even know the GM yet. So you have Batista and John Cena in the ring together. Shane McMahon's music hits once again, and he's about to announce the new GM for Raw. Now, at this time, Mike Adamley hits the ring because he's the one that does the interview segments at the time. He was going to interview John Cena and Batista to their reaction on the new GM. Unfortunately, we got a little bit of a swerve. Here we go. 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 Here we go.
Isn't this how we started tonight? Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the new general manager for Raw. Mike Adamley. How you doing, Dave? As general manager, come on, John. As general manager, I am proud to announce that at SummerSlam, it will be John Cena versus the animal Dave Batista. Good luck. You know, that last little part of the crowd, just like indifferent to the whole thing, that went on for like another 45 seconds on the TV, the televised crowd. I don't know what they did after they went off the air to try to get that crowd a little energized, but man, did it fall flat. I felt bad for Mike Adamley. We now know the health issues that he, uh, uh, we that was discovered later on. Don't know if any of that affected him at the time. You kind of think that it did. If you notice... There's never, ever any jokes ever made towards Mike Adamley ever again. For a little while, up until a couple of years ago, you would hear Stephanie throw a wise-ass remark here and there by Mike Adamley. But I think once everybody knew he had some serious health issues, everybody decided to lay off on Adamley. And that was the right thing to do. So with WWE going full-blown PG and telling us they were going full-blown PG at this time back in 2008, let's take a step back and look at what was going on non-wrestling related at that time. Now, as far as world news goes, the only main story that was happening at this time in 08 came out of Malaysia, a name I'm sure some of you will remember, Malaysian politician Amwar Ibrahim, arrested, charged with sodomy. Pretty fucked up. On the sports side, we had the baseball all-star game here in New York, Yankee Stadium. The AL defeated the NL 4-3, and I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, you remember one of the biggest moments coming out of that weekend, Josh Hamilton in Home Run Derby. Come on, that was fucking insane. It's sad how his career had ended up, really. I mean, he made a boatload of money, but man, you know, we always wondered if he would end up playing for a New York team, and it hasn't happened. Also in NBA news, Seattle Supersonics. They reached a settlement, and they were allowed to move to Oklahoma City. On the tennis side, Wimbledon on the women's front, Venus Williams defeats Serena Williams, her sister, 7-5-6-4. On the men's side, Rafael Nadal defeated Roger Federer, 6-4-6-4-6-7-6-7-9-7. On the, uh, I guess you could say on the sad death point, I'm sure some of you will remember from Fox News, he was also in uh, George Bush's government, Tony Snow, the former speechwriter for President George H.W. Bush, press secretary for George W. Bush. He died of cancer. Uh, Bobby Mercer, 
longtime Yankee, very, uh, really a wonderful man. I mean, I'm a pretty much a Met fan, but Bobby Mercer was so beloved here in New York. I even have a lot of retro uh, footage of him playing for the Cubs in the late 70s. Even got a couple of games with him playing on the Giants, believe it or not. Uh, he died from cancer as well at age 62. And Estelle Getty, Golden Girls, she died at the age of 84. Now, as far as the entertainment front goes, this is pretty cool. Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Heath Ledger and Christian Bale, premiered here in New York. Slumdog Millionaire, which was the 2009 winner of Best Picture. It actually debuted at the Telluride Film Festival. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. The Bachelor, Andrew Firestone, one of the most famous names to come out of that TV show. He, at 32 at the time, married Serbian model and actress Ivana Bozilovic. I think that's how you pronounce her name. American Pie actor Jason Biggs gets married to actress Jenny Mullen. Here's a little controversy for you. Back at this time in 2008, Madonna performed in concert. After the concert, she hosted an after party in her New York City apartment. One of the persons who not only attended the concert, but the after party was Alex Rodriguez. A couple of days later, I don't know if it's coincidence, but his wife, Cynthia, at the time, filed for divorce after six years of marriage. So I know we know the history between A-Rod and Madonna since then, but, you know, something was going down at this time in 2008. Price of a stamp at that time, 42 cents. Cost of a gallon of gas, $3.39. And wrapping this up, top songs at this time in 2008. The top UK song, Dizzy Rascals Project with Calvin Harris and Chrome's Dance With Me. Cause I'm the man for the job, let me work here. I won't waste no time, I'll make it worth it. 100%, percent i make it worth it. You got a body to die for, let me work here. Now it's murder in the dark floor. I wanna take this further in the dark floor. I ain't fools fool, but I'm still hardcore. You're gonna give me everything I ask for. It's not a long team, you're the boom team. Maybe more than a hotel room team. I'll never know if I just walk past. I really wanna Top dance song in the U.S., The Pussycat Dolls, When I Grow Up. Top R&B song, Kashia Cole's Heaven Sent. And the top pop song, this time, 2008, Katy Perry's. I kissed a girl, I liked it.
hated that fucking song. It had nothing to do with the lyrics. However, I will say I'm still waiting for the guy version to come out. You know, anybody that goes back to the early 80s with rap, remember when it came out with Roxanne, Roxanne, and then Roxanne Shantae came out with, like, the female version of that song? Well, I'm waiting for a guy. I kissed a guy. I liked it. Even though his nose smelled like shit. I kissed a guy. I like... Whatever. That's your history this time back in 2008. 2009, WWE has their Night of Champions pay-per-view from Philly. A couple of matches I think people would uh, find of note. Christian over Tommy Dreamer to win the ECW title. Mickey James over Maurice to win the Divas title. Rey Mysterio over Dolph Ziggler to retain the IC title. Jeff Hardy over CM Punk to win the World Heavyweight title. That same week on Impact, we had Bobby Lashley and Mick Foley defeat Kevin Nash and Kurt Angle. And since Mick Foley pinned Kevin Nash, he won the Legends title. What still like baffles me if you watch the end of this match, Kurt Angle's TNA Heavyweight title was also at stake. And if you actually watch it, Bobby Lashley is in the ring as Mick Foley's about to pin Kevin Nash and he walks the other way. You're also fighting to try to win the TNA World Heavyweight title if you pin Kevin Nash. Why would you allow your your partner to win? If you go back and watch it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Also this week, 2009, Hulk Hogan and Linda, they finalized their divorce you know, we've learned since then that she got like 70% of Hulk Hogan's assets, uh, 40% ownership in his company, any companies that he does. I know recently we've heard on the news that she thinks that Hulk Hogan is hiding assets, and likely so. I mean, most people who go through divorces, you know, sometimes assets is hidden. I don't think that's any surprise. But she has been taken care of quite comfortably since their divorce was finalized way back in 2009. And finishing up 2009, you know, just a quick 20-second clip. It was funny. I always enjoyed it. This week in 2009, Monday Night Raw, they're doing their guest hosting bullshit. And this week it was Shaq hosting Monday Night Raw. And while he's out there, Chris Jericho decided to hit the ring and made this little wise-ass remark to Shaq. When I heard that the most dominant player in NBA history was guest hosting Raw, I automatically assumed it was Kobe Bryant. So now we get to 2011. And if you've been following this show, especially the last two weeks, I think you're starting to understand why, even back then I said this, that the storyline with CM Punk and the WWE felt way too rushed. I mean, yes, the pipe bomb happened a couple of weeks ago in history, but when you look at the storyline of him, you know, threatening to walk out, having the WWE Championship match against John Cena, defeating Cena, walking out with the title, Triple H relieving Vince as COO, uh, Triple H taking over the company, CM Punk confronting Triple H at Comic-Con. All this went down within a week or so. So me personally at that time, I felt they should have stretched this out for a couple of weeks. 
give people the suspension of disbelief that CM Punk is gone. The WWE Championship is gone. So WWE decides they're going to deem the title vacant since CM Punk is, quote-unquote, no longer with the company, and they decide to have a tournament on Raw. And the first warning sign that Rey Mysterio was not going to keep this title was that the tournament was done right at the beginning of the show. So early in Raw's episode, we had Rey Mysterio defeat The Miz in a tournament final for the vacated WWE Championship. Fine. So now Triple H comes out, and he makes a couple of announcements. Now, I got some audio to share, three clips in all for 2011. First one is Triple H when he came out to cut his promo early on in the episode of Raw. Now, by now, uh, The Miz had already lost to Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio is your WWE champion. Now, Triple H will address that situation, but he also would welcome back someone to the company. And that night, everybody and their mother thought that it was CM Punk. I actually got a kick out of this. This seemed entertaining. Felt like Triple H trolled the fans a little bit, but the surprise was still good nonetheless. Here's Triple H from Raw 2011. Tonight, we crown a brand new WWE champion. Congratulations to Rey Mysterio. But here's the thing, since I'm in charge, I can do things a little bit differently. And that's why tonight, for the first time ever, we are going to have a second WWE Championship match right here on Raw. Now I've spoken to both men and both men are in agreement that this match needs to take place and it needs to take place tonight that is why Rey Mysterio will defend against the man that was cheated out of his deserved rematch tonight it will be the brand new WWE Champion Rey Mysterio defending against John Cena fun and there's one other thing that's been bothering me lately everywhere I go there's one man's name I hear people I think the WWE Universe worldwide there's one name that I think the WWE Universe worldwide is in agreement should be back here on Raw and I've taken it upon myself this week to contact that man and re-sign him. So I would like it if right now you would help me welcome him back to Raw. Superstar! 
returning to Raw. Look at this. Oh, look at that. Look, 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 look. Look, oh. Look who it is. Good old JR. <laughs> oh, look at your face. Oh, my gosh. Look at this ovation for good old JR. You know what? Let's let's get a JR for president chant going, Cole. <laughs> Good old JR back. <laughs> oh, man. oh, it's great to see you, JR. Welcome home. Cole, come on. So now we have JR return, which was cool. But not only did it just feel awkward of Rey Mysterio winning the title at the beginning of the night, you now announce, as Triple H is announcing, that he's going to defend the title against John Cena. Now, did John Cena in storyline deserve a rematch? Yeah, he lost the title. He's granted a rematch. But to rush it on the same episode of Raw with Rey Mysterio winning at the beginning of the show, I could tell you that a lot of people, including myself, thought Rey Mysterio is losing his belt at the end of the night. Little did we know how the night would end up, but basically you had John Cena win the title. And this is how it went down. Here's the closing moments of John Cena winning the championship. Cena slowly advancing. Oh, oh man, having so much respect for the other. As Cena eats uh, the second turnbuckle okay. after the drop to Hobart, Rey Mysterio again using leverage and quickness to take the bigger, stronger man down. Got to win this thing with a pinfall or submission. Ray going up top. High risk. It pays off. See the shoot on it. See the counter. Oh, no. A new WWE champion. Look at this. Oh, look at this. Yes. Rey Mysterio. He's paid 
before I've seen his hurt just as bad as Ray. What an amazing night here live on Monday Night Raw. The WWE title is on the line. Ray Mysterio won it earlier tonight and is now defending it against John Cena, who deserved a WWE Championship rematch. We have witnessed two WWE Championship matches on the same night. It's history here tonight. There's the champion, Ray Mysterio. There's the challenger, John Cena. They have given it all here in a very physical matchup. And in the meantime, and by the way, I gotta say welcome back, JR. I'm glad you're here to witness history tonight. Look at this. Both men struggling oh, to stand. Anybody's ball game here. But remember, the challenger Cena must pin the champion, Rey Mysterio, or make Mysterio submit. Oh, this is so good. This night is not about politics or anything else. It's about the WWE oh. Championship. Oh, that was nasty. John Cena. Using every bit of strength he could to turn that attempted Hurricane Rana into a power bomb. Oh, Ray took a bad fall on bad. his shoulder there. Watch the brute strength of John Cena demonstrated here, but watch the bad landing by Ray. That was freaky strength by Cena, who's now going to go the Mysterio route. High risk. Whoa! Amazing left drop. The impact. The height. The cover. Oh! Mysterio kick out. That's why Rey Mysterio is the WWE Champion. He's absolutely amazing. What heart this young man has. What a night he's he's witnessed and been through here tonight. Look at this, JR. John Cena getting amazing elevation. And connects. He connects. But it's, there's a cover. Watch Mysterio right there. Kick out. Unbelievable. We are witnessing history here tonight on Monday Night Raw, our second WWE Championship matchup. And is it simply the fact that John Cena cannot put the new champion away? And Rey Mysterio already been through one grueling battle against The Miz earlier tonight. Now another against Cena. And still, he maintains the championship. What a battle. Cena's having, having trouble with this left knee bumping on him. And Mysterio has Cena set up. One more time on speed dial. But still, on Cena. Now we have John Cena, the new WWE champion. Rey Mysterio held it for about an hour and a half or so, somewhere around that. And we thought, for the most part, that Raw was just going to go off the air with John Cena as the WWE champion. Then this happened. What a victory for John Cena. What a heartbreak for Rey Mysterio. But that's what this is all about. That's how much the WWE championship means. Let's go. 
So as you could hear by the music, CM Punk made his return. It was entertaining to see CM Punk holding his WWE Championship and John Cena holding his WWE Championship. Little trivia, little tidbit that people may have forgot about. That song, Cult of Personality by Living Color, that was the first time CM Punk ever came out to that song in WWE. So when the music first hit, they did not show CM Punk's graphics on the Titan Tron. Nobody understood why the music was playing. John Cena had this confused look as well. But then all of a sudden, CM Punk's name flashed on the Titan Tron. He came out. You could hear in the background a little bit of the crowd going nuts. Well, I, you know what? I shouldn't say going nuts. Because even though CM Punk was over, the pipe bomb was controversial, he had a lot of buzz, and CM Punk had a big fan base, no question. But you actually go back at that time, CM Punk's fan base wasn't as large in the WWE as you would think. You know, it's not that the entire audience got out of their feet and were going nuts. Holy shit, he's back. Holy shit. You know, the, the, the response was a little bit polite. However, when he did hold the championship belt over his head in front of John Cena, that did get a big pop from the crowd. So now we have CM Punk back on WWE television. The problem now... He has a WWE Championship. John Cena has a WWE Championship. How would that be addressed? We'll cover that next week. 2012. Again, if you've been following this show for the last bunch of weeks, it was at this time in 12 that WWE had debuted NXT, taking over Florida Championship Wrestling as its own little promotion. Well, it was this week in 2012 that WWE had a tournament to determine the first ever NXT champion and that tournament final would have Seth Rollins defeating Jinder Mahal to become the first ever NXT champion and it was really cool because after the match was over you had Dusty Rhodes and Triple H holding the arms of Seth Rollins up in the air and you could see Seth Rollins legitimately choked up over not only the win, but being the first ever NXT champion. So it was a pretty cool moment. You Seth Rollins fans out there, I, I guarantee you a lot of you may have never seen his first title win in NXT. Go seek it out. I think you'll enjoy it. So now we get to 2015. No way else to put it. It was a bombshell. It was this week in 2015 that we learned of Hulk Hogan's racist tirade on audio. He was busted. WWE found out about it. We all found out about it, and he was fired by WWE. It was a huge story. Even putting aside his WWE contract, which was terminated, 
to have the beloved Hulk Hogan. And yes, he said some fucked up shit about John Graziano. Yes, he did some said some fucked up shit over the years, but not to this level, not this deep, heinous hatred. But surprisingly, a lot of people that were black came to the defense of Hulk Hogan. Now, sure, when you're in the privacy of your own home, nobody knows the true inner feelings of how you feel. Has Hulk Hogan truly learned from his ways? Does he truly understand how he hurt people? Does he truly feel that that is something that's inappropriate, that any member of his family should be able to date any ethnic group, any religious group? So we don't know those answers. And I don't even think we will ever know those answers. We can have an idea and we are human beings. We always give, for the most part, people a second chance of redemption. And that's what Hulk Hogan is going through right now. But first, I want to give you about three and a half minutes of audio. This was Hulk Hogan's first comments after being fired by WWE. And I wanted to play it now for a reason. Because deep down inside, a lot of us believe that Hulk Hogan may have grown and learned from his mistakes with this. But when you hear a statement from 2015 and you compare it to what he's saying to this day, it's almost like he's saying word for word the same script all over again. Keep in mind, this was shortly after him being fired from WWE. Terry Bollea, the man behind the once indestructible Hulkster letting his guard down. Out of everything that I've been through, this one hit me probably the hardest. Wiped from the WWE Hall of Fame last month after portions of his conversation during a secretly recorded private encounter were leaked by the National Enquirer. On it, Bollea caught using racial slurs. I was at the lowest point of my life to the point where I want to kill myself. You were suicidal. Yes, I was. And I was very mad at my daughter for really no reason. I was upset over a situation that happened between her and her boyfriend, and I had no idea I was being taped. On the tape, he refers to his daughter's then-boyfriend using the N-word. Are you a racist? No, I'm not. I'm not a racist. I never should have said what I said. It was wrong. I'm embarrassed by it. But a lot of people need to realize that you inherit things from your environment. And where I grew up was South Tampa, and it was a really rough neighborhood, very low income. And all my friends, we greeted each other saying that word. The word was just thrown around like it was nothing. Is it fair to say that you inherited a racial bias? I would say that is very fair. The atmosphere, the environment I grew up in, all my white friends, all my black friends, to hear the word on a daily basis when they'd greet me in the morning. That's what they'd say to me. Good morning, so-and-so. I think that was part of the culture and the environment I grew up in. For fans who feel let down by you, mm -hmm. do you ask their forgiveness? Oh my gosh, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm a nice guy. It's not, you know, not the Hulk Hogan that rips the shirt off and bang, 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 slams giants. You know, I'm Terry Bollea. I'm just a normal man. But the WWE not taking the risk fired him. Everything I've done, my whole career, my whole life, was like it never happened. Your image, your likeness, your name erased. Yeah, like I'd never existed. That had to hurt. Oh my gosh, it was devastating. Many industry bigwigs now coming to his defense and his daughter, Brooke. Your daughter posted a beautiful poem oh, on Facebook. If you knew the dad I knew, you'd know he raised me well. He taught me folks are so much more than shades could ever tell. 
Yeah. And if anybody should have disowned me, it should have been her. You know, she should have been the one. She should have been the one to throw me out like uh, the trash. But instead, she showed me more love than anybody. What did Brooke say to you? Well, could we stop for a second? Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Okay. How has Brooke helped you through this? She's been so supportive. She was the direction of my attack. You know, I was not so mad at her boyfriend. I was mad at her, you know. And she, she instantly said, I, I don't even need to forgive you because I'm not mad at you. Now the man known for his superhuman strength is wrestling with turning this negative into a positive. Just because a person makes a mistake, just don't throw them away. You don't throw good people away. If everybody at their lowest point was judged on one thing they said, and all of a sudden your whole career was wiped out today because of something you said 10 or 20 years ago, it'd be a sad world. People get better every day. People get better. Hogan told me the day he was fired from the WWE was the greatest day of his life because the truth literally set him free. He's dedicated to raising awareness about the impact of racial slurs and working to rebuild trust with his fans and his daughter. So now I want to give you about 15 minutes of interview clips. And these all took place right at Hogan's firing and shortly thereafter. I made sure to be very thorough about this. I listened to interview after interview after interview. I wanted to make sure to not only get the broad spectrum of the wrestling industry commenting on this, but also not only white wrestlers, but black wrestlers. And I also wanted to pick people who knew Hulk Hogan a little bit more than just casual, you know, appearing on shows together. So I think you'll find this very interesting. You're going to hear comments from Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Kamala, Jim Ross, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, The Rock, Tony Atlas, and Stevie Ray. I think you'll find some of these comments very, very interesting. And these years later, still accurate and really on point with what they said. Thought it was excellent. Check it out. Hulk Hogan's had a tremendous run. He got into, uh, you know, some issues and, you know, Maybe when time washes all that away, he'll make he'll make a comeback. So what's your uh, what's your gut? Suppose in, in in the next in a year a year from now, do you think he will have um, entered the ring one more time in WWE? Man, speculation. That's up to Vince. He's a lot smarter than I am. He's the one that's got to you know weather the storm. You know, since it is a public company now, you know how soon or how long does it take for something like that to be forgotten? Uh, let alone just forgiven. You know, you can never forget it, but uh, can you forgive it? Yes, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll leave that to them. Um, Hulk Hogan and I don't sit there and call or text each other every single day. Uh, <laughs> but but I don't I don't I really don't think the guy's got a malicious bone in his body. Had a bad day, no doubt. We'll see if indeed time heals all wounds. But you know, I leave up I leave that up to Vince and uh, and everybody else to to make that decision. You mentioned Hulk Hogan. I got to ask you. He's had a rough year. Uh, yeah, it's been a rough time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I sat here and talked to him uh, right when the big scandal happened a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, and then right maybe a month ago, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I reached out to him after the whole right, 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 right. audio tape comes out. Right. What did you, when you heard that, what was your reaction? Well, you reached out to him. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, what did you think? Um, I was surprised. Yeah. 
Um, it's, it's the word, I think. That word is such a uh, such an ugly word. Yeah. Um, I think that, once again, I'm nobody to judge. I've, I've Were you done, surprised, uh, though? Um, so yeah, surprise, absolutely, because Hulk's not like that, you know. But we all say things in stupid times and stupid ways. I'm sure you have. I'm sure I have. Yeah. Whether it be those type of comments or any type of comment that's not correct, that's not right. Yeah. But you know, um, I, I think I think it's one of those those deals where, um, you know, as a friend, you you got to stick by your friends in good times and bad times. And I don't condone it, and I'm surprised, but. A friend is a friend. So have you, you know, out, have you spoken to him? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I have, and uh, you know, I, I do feel bad for him. I feel bad for everyone involved. You know, I feel bad for people of color or of any type of race that that are fans of his. You know, you do feel a little bit let down. But I don't. I know this. Nobody feels more let down than he does. Yeah. I think he feels really embarrassed and really bad about it. And um, you know, like I said, it, it's one of those things where I would never judge anybody, and I just feel bad uh, all across the board about it. I think that people take it too far. Uh, the, the way I see it and the way I... Well, I didn't see it like that when I was growing up. But over the years, I guess I'm more mature. And the way I see it now is uh, we we have all the things that we say about white people. And nobody says anything. And we, it's not that we mean harm by doing it. We we you know we do it in private where we have uh, little jokes and fun, laugh about it. Well, I don't. I do not. This me personally. I do not think Hogan meant harm by saying that. And Hogan is my brother until he decides not to be. I never knew of Hogan and all the dealings I've had with him good, bad, and indifferent, have any issues with race. None. I never knew Hulk Hogan to have any issues with race whatsoever. And, you know, then I, I say that, and, and, and I only can say the truth. That's all I can say. This is the truth. And that is a fact. And then, of course, what you hear on the tape, and you say, well, how can you say that? Well, I can say it because it's the truth. I never... I never had any African-American athletes, any athletes of color ever come to me with a problem uh, regarding Hogan and race. None. Zero. I never heard him around any of the guys uh, that uh, would give me any indication in the locker room or anywhere else that he was a racist. But obviously, eight or seven, eight years ago, wherever it was, he, there's documentation of racial language that uh, he has admitted to and has apologized for, uh, and he knows he made a mistake, and I know he should not have said those things, but does the mere fact of someone using that language uh, in a cavalier, careless way, was he drinking? Was there anything else involved? I don't know. I don't know. Is the mere fact of someone using that language does it automatically brand them as a racist for life? Because they say something uh, that's uh, that is uh, unsavory in that regard. I, I, everybody's got an opinion on that. I'm not trying to tell you yes or no. All I can tell you is, is I never experienced any racial issues with Hulk Hogan in my professional dealings with him, and those were the only dealings that I had. I know that we live in a society that 
uh, encourages forgiveness. I know that for those that study the Bible, that forgiveness is mentioned often. Uh, if you are atheist, then I guess that doesn't matter to you. Uh, but I, I do believe that uh, everybody is deserves an opportunity to correct some wrongs. And this his uh, language was wrong, and he should be given an opportunity to rehabilitate his image and to change his life. And that's going to be up to him. I'd say this, if I was Hulk, I'd damn sure stay off Twitter. You're not going to make yourself look any better. You're not going to heal the wounds any quicker by tweeting right now. I think he should get himself, I wrote about this in a blog this week, good PR team that, that understands this, these matters, uh, uh, someone that can help him with sensitivity training so he can understand how this has affected a lot of people uh, and stay off the Twitter machine. Let it go. This is just, this is just my opinion. Would it, would it, would it appear from a PR standpoint, or not even a PR standpoint, would it appear from, from, a, from the public's viewpoint, if I was to suspend him, not erase his life, but suspend him and give him the option for sensibility training, for if, if, if this is somebody that's, that's that iconic, like I think that there, there, there could have been things that, that could have been done. Too swift a judgment, too harsh. I just say, I just, yeah, to me it was very Saudi Arabia. It was just. <laughs> but I think because it was, it was what was to be debated about, I mean, sensitivity training for Hulk Hogan, I mean, you're sending the warrior, I don't mean the warrior, I mean <laughs> a warrior, sending Spartacus for sensitivity training, I mean, what are we doing? Well, see, like, I, I, maybe because I look at how I, I, I view my life, and there are so many times in my life before I've struck somebody or before I've cut a promo on them, I've used, I, I basically looked them in their eyes and said, you fucked with the wrong end, mm -hmm. meaning me. Right, but you're white. Well, exactly. But he was calling the black guy the N-word. Right? So but my thing is, it's, it's PC world. Yes. If we're two black dudes, we can be each other's. Oh, so nigga past that, yeah. yeah we yeah. can be that. Yeah, but not for shareholders. What? Well, that's what I'm Okay. Yeah. But he's also 1099. That's a very, very, very good point. He's an independent contractor. So what was the statement? That we just won't be using his services as a contractor any longer, right? I guess they said, right? Took him off the website and all that stuff. Uh, but you, you take him out of the Hall of Fame. Can't do that. There's no value. There's, what, what does that mean? Has anybody ever been pulled out of the baseball, the football? Is OJ? Did they pull? So. No, they pull OJ they out? Of the, mm -hmm. the, no. I just I talked to Hulk um, the morning after he did the. I called. I texted him and said, "Hey, good job on Good Morning America," and he called me immediately. Like, hey, brother, you know, he was really 
amped up and you know nervous too because like wow you know they have the edit so I don't know what's going to happen and when people ask me about it I've been around Hulk a lot and never have seen anything but kindness and generosity from the guy I've never seen any racism thing going on but I think <laughs> it was nearly nine years ago and his life was in a way different spot then you know his son Nick had just been involved in that tragedy um, he's going through a brutal divorce, you know, where his ex-wife is running around with some guy that went to school with his kids. I mean, a lot of stuff going on. He's paying a lot of money out of his own pocket to help his daughter, Brooke, get her hip-hop career going. And the thing that stands out to me, you know, to me, I think what I've heard is just the excerpts. I didn't hear anything. I read, like, some lines from the tape mm. or whatever. And it seems like he's reflecting on it. He's kind of going, well, maybe I am a racist. I mean, doesn't he say that once or twice? Are you familiar with it? It seems like, yeah, it seems I, like, seems to me like he was reflecting on it, going, oh, maybe I am a racist. Because I think it dawned on Hulk, and I have a daughter who's young, and she's, you know, she's younger than Brooke, but I think you're going, you know, he's trying to get her into hip-hop. Then it dawned on him, well, hip-hop's controlled by a lot of young, rich black guys, and now I want to bang my hot daughter. And I think he's kind of like, whoa, you know. I, um... Do I think he'll be back? I hope so. I turned down lots of interview requests about this because I didn't want to talk about it until Hulk talked about mm. it. I, my position is you think after nearly a 35-year relationship with the WWE that they'd have taken a different position. I think they would have said, we're going to look into it. And then I think they should have recommended some kind of counseling or sensitivity training or something like that. The thing that, the thing that gets me the most is people are concerned about well Hulk said the n-word not the fact that he's banging his buddy's wife during this video like that's okay you can have sex with somebody else's wife but for God's sakes don't say the n-word is the message right like no one even says that he was still married the guy's married so it's adultery full-blown adultery which is like one of the ten and right. don't say the n-word this is Tony, Mr. USA Atlas, and I want to say, when I first started in the wrestling business, I said, Tony, if you have one friend, one friend, when you leave this business, consider yourself lucky. Well, I had several friends, and one of my most dear friends was Huck Hogan. And you know, all of us right now, we live in, uh, high on the hog, everybody making a lot of money because of the foundation that Huck Hogan laid for all of us. Huck is no racist, he's about one of the nicest greatest people that I or you or American ever know or to me. Give the guy a break. Give him a chance. He's a good man. Hulk Hogan put me and my brother in a position to do what we did. We got a push because of Hulk Hogan. And I'll never forget that. And I will always be indebted to him for that. That does not mean I respect what he did. I respect what he, you know, where he is now. I don't know where his mind is. And that's what I was telling Stephen A. Smith. You know, some people can be a drunk, a junkie, and get up every day, and you'll never know it. So you don't think a person can be a just deep embedded racist and not live his day from day to day live his life from day to day yes they can do that I don't know what Hulk Hogan's heart is but I uh, I I don't bear any ill will toward Hulk Hogan 
that's what he felt at that time. He's never treated me like that. But I'm not saying I'm going to forget what I heard. Right. If a man apologized and he really is sincere about his apology, I will forgive him. That don't mean I forget. Me and Hogan has always been cool. I've never had a problem with the man because people have asked me, have Hogan ever showed racist tendencies? Hogan is the blackest white dude I ever met in my life. If that makes sense. How so? Because he just know, I can tell the man has been around African-Americans. You can tell when white people have been around African-Americans. You can tell when certain Caucasians have been around African-Americans. It's just a certain swag they got. Yeah. It is. And you can hear it in their voice. You know what I'm saying? And especially what they do. So that's why I say influence, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. You know, That still don't mean a person is not bigger, bigger than something like that. So, but if you talk to Hogan, you will see what I'm saying. Right. You know, same thing with uh, uh, Kevin Nash. Same thing. You could tell Kevin Nash knew everything about uh, R&B music. He's a basketball player also. Mm-hmm. Everything about R&B music. When I tell you everything, I thought I knew music. Kevin Nash eat me alive. <laughs> we used to, I mean, these are conversations we should have. Yeah. And he would bring up people. I'm like, damn, I forgot about that. I feel like, man, I like Kevin Nash no more than me. You know what I'm saying? What the, yeah. you, know, you don't supposed to know more than me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So you can tell, you know what I'm saying? He's been around. Okay, he's been around a lot of brothers. So that's how you know all this. You, you have to listen to this music to know it. You can't just look at the top 40 every week and go, okay, blah, blah, blah. You have to listen to it. You know what I'm saying? That's music. Right. You got to know it. You got to listen to it. So I bear no ill will with Hulk Hogan. None. Hulk Hogan was always good to me. Always cool. So wrapping up 2015, a couple of important moments to mention. First, Raw from Oklahoma City. John Cena defeated Seth Rollins by submission to retain the United States Championship. This was the match where Seth Rollins inadvertently gave a high knee to John Cena in the nose breaking his nose, displacing his nose. Remember those black and white pictures of John Cena's deformed nose? It was that fucking match. It's just, you look back on it, that was a gruesome injury. And he finished the match. And I know some of you are going to say, oh, it wasn't a broken leg. Of course he could have finished the match. You get your nose disfigured like that, and you tell me if you're in the mood for finishing a match. I think, believe it or not, that injury and John Cena finishing the match gained a little bit of additional respect from fans that were just sick of seeing Cena on TV. I truly believe that to this day. Now, as far as Impact and TNA at this time, first we had Gail Kim winning the Knockouts Championship, defeating Lady Tapa, Miss Tessbacher, and Awesome Kong in a four-way. And the same Impact taping, we had the finale of the storyline, Global Force Wrestling invading TNA Impact Wrestling, we would have a tag team match, Team TNA versus Team Global Force. And if Team TNA won, Dixie Carter would have complete full control of TNA. Global Force, this is Team 1, Jeff Jarrett would have complete control of TNA. The storyline only lasted about two months. Rushed, tried to pop ratings. I don't know if it did any of that. But obviously, we knew what the outcome was going to be all along. Team TNA did prevail. 
Dixie Carter retained full control. And for those who are going to ask, Team Global Force at the time was Chris Mordetsky, Eric Young, Jeff Jarrett, Sunjay Dutt, and Brian Myers, who you know as Dicker Dawkins. Team TNA was Lashley, the Wolves, Bram, and Drew Galloway. So there you go. And this week of 2015, Layla announced her retirement from pro wrestling. Wrapping up this episode, we go to 2016. First, the Battleground pay-per-view. And little quick, just an audio clip of an intro. It's just the introduction of a wrestler who made her debut on the main roster on this night on Battleground. I wanted to share it because I think some people will reminisce on how popular she was when she first came into WWE. She is still popular to this day, but obviously over the last bunch of years, storylines haven't been that great. The way WWE utilized her, people have questioned it. You know, you look back on it and yeah, we could play Monday morning quarterback all as much as we want, but still it was a cool moment to see this week in 2016 at Battleground, Sasha Banks' mystery partner to take on Dana Brooke and Charlotte was none other than Bailey. Who is Sasha Banks chosen to team up with her tonight against the women's champion and her protege? Legit boss. Built on self-success. Charlotte tweeted back. She's made a living out of brewing all that haters wrong. Bring them on. She said, haters are my motivators. If Sasha did indeed find somebody. Since we're always talking about the Shield in some capacity, on that card as well, Dean Ambrose retained the World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins in a three-way. Seems like a long time ago, right? 2016. And wrapping up this episode, the night after on Monday Night Raw, we had three debuts to the main roster. Well, one really wasn't a debut in the main roster because he wasn't a Raw wrestler or WWE wrestler yet. He was just more enhancement talent. We'll get into that in a moment. First, it was the debut on the main roster of Finn Balor. He wrestled twice, actually. The opening match, it was the determine who was going to face Roman Reigns later in the night. 
the match with Roman Reigns, the winner would get the opportunity to wrestle for the Universal Championship at SummerSlam. So early in the night, Finn Balor wrestled and defeated Kevin Owens, Cesaro, and Rusev in a four-way. Later on that night, to close out Raw, Finn Balor defeated Roman Reigns. So Finn Balor would earn a shot to win the Universal title at SummerSlam. Another main roster debut that night was none other than Nia Jax. And she wrestles pretty much the same as we see it today. She, her match was only about a minute and a half. She wrestled Britt Baker, squash, total squash. But the debut, I think, people still talk about and will continue to talk about. Braun Strowman came out for his match. And at this time, we would sometimes have, you know, an enhancement wrestler, somebody from the Indies would wrestle Braun Strowman. And, you know, the size difference between Braun Strowman and his opponent used to be drastic, but not this drastic at this time. And Byron Saxton was in the ring interviewing this wrestler who was about to take on Braun Strowman. And this wrestler was very, very confident. Unfortunately, the outcome of the match wasn't the way that this person envisioned it to be, storyline. But it was this week... In 2016, we had the WWE debut of James Ellsworth. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Making his way to the ring, weighing 385 pounds, Braun Strowman. I'm standing here with James Ellsworth and James... No offense, but what in God's name are you thinking stepping into the ring with a monster like Braun Strowman? What am I thinking? Having a match on Raw is a dream come true for me. I didn't know it was going to be against Braun Strowman, so yes, I'm nervous. Yes, I'm scared. But if I could somehow, some way, pull off the upset, because I truly believe any man with two hands has a fighting chance, I can only imagine what that may do for my career. Well, hopefully you still have a career after tonight's match, but uh, good luck, man. Did, did, did James Ellsworth say that he could pull off the upset tonight? I, I think somebody better notify Mr. Ellsworth next of kin because Braun Strowman looks like a nasty, mean monster right now, ready to do some serious damage. And James Ellsworth looks like Tweety Bird. <laughs> I think Ellsworth's quickly realizing exactly what he's in the ring against. Not who, but what. You talk about destructive forces of nature. You think hurricanes, tsunamis. Start thinking Strowman. This guy's a freak. Mountain of a man. Yeah, that might work. Oh, boy. Look at how big Strowman is. Oh, my God, like a sledgehammer to the heart. Well, I'm glad Anderson Cooper rejoined us up here at the commentary table. Great questions, Byron. Hey, James got hope, you know. Apparently, hope is dissipating. Oh, I don't think that hope's... <laughs> what kind of... If you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you, right? I guess that's one way of looking at it. Look at this man. Human carnage by Braun Strowman. Oh, no, look out here. Come on. Oh, God. I have to reinforce the ring. I would rather take a nap on hot coals than have to deal with Braun Strowman. 
Why don't you go help out Mr. Ellsworth, Byron? Yeah, you I'm needed here. <laughs> and it, oh my oh gosh! No, the reverse choke slam. So much for hope, Two, James. Three, let's go! That didn't go too well. Stop Ron I don't know if anybody on the planet Earth has an answer, especially look at the impact, full speed ahead, and then a reverse choke slam face plant for Mr. Ellsworth. Look at the eyes of this monstrosity, Brown, Ron Strowman. Notable birthdays this week, those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Rufus R. Jones, Baron Mikel Cicluna. Captain Lou Albano, Whipper Billy Watson, Enrique Torres, Matt Bourne, Freddie Sweet Tan, Tony Altamore, Ann Gunkel, El Brazo, Nelson Royale, and Pitbull number two. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Happy birthday to Greg Gagne. He turned 70. Rocky Santana, 63. Tommy Rich and Fidel Sierra, 62. Joseph Oldie, 61. Scott Steiner, Pirata Morgan, and Sonny Ono turned 56. I'm going to include him because I still say, even above Lawrence Taylor, greatest performance I ever saw from a non-wrestler, really with no matches under their belt at all. Happy birthday, Carl Malone and Linus Asuka. They turned 55. Buck Quartermain, 51. Triple H and Ultimo Vampiro, 49. Shirley Doe, 46. Murphy, 44. Tori Wilson, 43. Shannon Moore, 39. Dolph Ziggler, 38. Finn Balor, 37. Icarus, 36. Roderick Strong, 35. Zach Sabre Jr., 31. Marty Scroll, 30. Nick Jackson, 29. Noam Dar and Sammy Guevara, 25. And Tessa Blanchard, happy birthday. She turns 23. Notable debuts this week. In history, Blue Demon Jr. in 85 and Lash LaRue in 98. And finally, those who we lost this week in wrestling history, those who passed away, and some of these are very recent. Mickey Gold died at age 84. Jack Daniels, 83. Carl Gotch, 82. Chuck Conley and Danny Dusek, 75. Rita Cortez, 73. Art Dominguez, 72. Gordon Soley, 71. Nikolai Volkov at age 70. Mike Hall, 67. Wild Red Berry, 66. Alfonso Dantes, 65. Brickhouse Brown, 57. Tracy Cadell at 50. Dennis Carluzzo, 48. Brian Lawler at 46. Corey Macklin, 43. Bull Ortega, 41. Rhonda Singh, 40. Freddie Sweetan at 36. And Janet Boyer Wolf died at age 18. And if you actually want to read about her story, you can look it up online. Just a really tragic story. I mean, she wrestled a long time ago, and she was an aspiring wrestler. There's actually a very touching story involving her personal life. She was being adopted. She was in a tag team match, and unfortunately, she, she suffered not only a brain hemorrhage, but I think a ruptured vein in her stomach. It's a really sad story, and her death actually led to some changes as far as women's wrestling way back when, so go go check out that story. And with that, we are done. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of This Week in Wrestling History. I will return next week with episode 31. As always, follow me on Twitter, at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony, at 
DonTony.com, Facebook.com slash DTKC show. And if you like what we do and you want to help keep these shows free, help us keep the bills paid, keep the lights on, consider our Patreon page, Patreon.com slash DonTony. For as little as five bucks, you get hundreds and hundreds of hours of Patreon exclusive shows, new show every week. Myself and Missionary do a joint show called Breakfast Soup. It's a combination of Breakfast with Blossy and Wrestling Soup. Everyone had always wanted a Kevin Castle solo show. He has a solo show there, Castle Chronicles. We have giveaways, contests, early releases of this show, a lot of other things going on. And yours truly is now starting to vlog video blogs and we are going to be doing video versions of podcasts very very shortly so there's a lot of really cool stuff going on over there go check it out patreon.com slash don tony everyone be well i will catch you all again next week send your feedback as always it is much appreciated and i'll talk to you all soon ciao tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nebbia. You can go from I should start a podcast to actually starting a podcast with Spreaker. Spreaker's tools allow you to record, manage, distribute, and monetize any podcast idea, whether it's about your business or even your cat. And as your podcast grows, Spreaker helps you manage your success and even monetize it. That means all you need to get started is a microphone and a really good idea. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started.